Showtime. Started talking to you guys, but I was on mute. Oh. <laughs> well, you muted yourself. Okay. Welcome to Hollywood Anonymous. My name is Brian Irwin, going left to right, everybody, in a circle. Clockwise. I'm, I'm wait, left to clockwise. You're, you're good right vibes, John. Right? I'm good. I'm good vibes only. Well, I was wearing my outlier tee, so I wanted to wear my good vibes only shirt, but I also yeah. wanted to promote this band. I want to promote Seven Eleven. Yeah, because they need your help as much as uh, the, the local. Small, small, small mom and pop 7-Eleven. Jen Murphy. There. By the way, um, as you can see with my cup, John, would you like to do a quick rest in peace? Dude, RIP Mrs. Kittner, um, the lady whose son was eaten on the raft uh, in Jaws passed away today. She was 91, I believe. Um, this a good run. They was COVID related, but yes, good run. And also, what an iconic, one of the greatest slaps in movie history is when she walks up to Roy Scheider in Jaws. Greatest uh, slaps in history. Well, who, who are your, what are your top three slaps? Top three? Uh, that one, the fish slap from Monty Python, where he just slaps them with the huge fish. And then probably something to do with the Three Stooges. I got a good one. Yeah. When Cher slaps Nicolas Cage in Moonstruck, and she's like, "Snap out of it!" Bam! Right there. See? Right. See, you guys, you guys are paying attention to slaps. That's all. Full of slapping, everybody. Wow. Yeah, she, walks to, she walks up to Brody, Chief Brody, and just fucking cracks him on the on the face. Jen, you were bringing up somebody else historically that unfortunately passed away right before we were on. Oh right? yeah. Yes, a football player who uh, had uh, Tom Dempsey, who held the record for the longest. Field goal, 63 yards. Was he on the screen? Coronavirus related. He's been sick, though. But did he kick kick that field goal with the Saints? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. it was the Saints. November 8th, 1970, the Saints against the Detroit Lions. And his kicking foot had no toes. No toes. He had nubs. He had nubs. And and he kicked straight forward, which was up until like some point in the 80s, there was a lot of kickers that did that. I think Mark Mosley who is a kicker for the Washington Redskins was, I think the last, I think the last straight on kicker after but, that, everybody went soccer style, but, oh. but straight on kicking, this guy had a shoe made Correct. to fit his foot. So it was like, but, almost like you were born to do this toeless Joe. Like there was some it. controversy because even though he was toeless, there was like a little wooden thing in front of where his toes were supposed to be. And some people thought maybe that was gave it him an advantage. You're right. There was some controversy related to his uh, his career as well. But I will say, though, until in, in, until I think the mid 90s, when everybody started getting bionic legs, I mean, he was the face of the distance kicker. Like it, it was brought up all the time, kind of like the Miami Dolphins undefeated season. It was like that was one of those things they thought would never be broken. I've seen that. I've seen that kick over and over and over in, in place. Every time somebody goes for like a 60 yard yard. <clears throat> kick they were like now look at Dempsey and you're like oh and it was snowy right I feel like it was like shitty weather was it not I don't, I don't know in a dome so I don't know how that could be but I haven't seen the actual footage I was just reading the story about it so there's that Jen Murphy by the way did not get her official introduction oh, oh maybe that's because I didn't do Jen, 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 Jen,
Brian, do you play that around the house a lot for your family? <laughs> Speedo in the water. I like that dumbbells clip, though. Speedo in the water. Uh, I like that dumbbells picture with you behind me. It's so cool. Yeah. I don't that, even know where we got that. It's all blurry. I don't know. Somebody was capturing our greatness. Uh, John's mom is watching. She's letting us know either that or she actually was typing that to a friend via the phone text and instead did the mom move. Just press send. Which just uh, press send. Just sent, sent public. Before we, before we stop talking, I just have one more sports thing that a lot of people might be very interested in. But if they are big sports fans, they probably already know this. Okay. But ESPN was planning to release a 10-part documentary on – uh, Michael Jordan in June when basketball season ended. But since there's no basketball season, they're releasing it now, April 19th. Mm. Sounds very intriguing and exciting. If you want to watch how greatness is made. That's that's pretty awesome. I'm, I'm definitely like, it's, it's weird how much, like I don't watch basketball, but it's weird how I notice it not being around. You know what I mean? I know I, I, it's with everything, but like, I, mean, I guess I notice it more because I don't see any baseball. I don't see any hockey, but I'm watching old baseball games. I'm watching hockey fights on YouTube. You know what I mean? I'm not watching yeah. any old basketball, uh, except for people who post stuff about Kobe. I watch all the old Kobe stuff now, but, um, but I'm really curious to see that Jordan thing. Really, really. Yeah. That'll be a, that'll be a good doc. By the way, uh, uh, Tommy James just said uh, that it took place at Tulane stadium. You know, you always forget that they didn't play in the dome forever. And, um, so yeah, they played at, at Tulane, you know, uh, the actual, it was an outdoor game in new Orleans. Um, you know, it's that again, that's a doc. I watched McMillions. Um, I think after watching tiger King, it wasn't as captivating. I kind of felt like, but for those of you who don't know, HBO is free. Uh, not everything. If you go there, it will try to sign you in for a seven day free trial, just back out of it. And the minute you back out of it, it defaults into here's the free stuff you can watch right now. So don't oh, okay. sign up. So they're still trying to trick you. Free seven days. Now I will tell you this. If you want everything that HBO has to offer, then you would have to do the seven day free trial and then opt out. If that's what you want. If you don't want to deal with that mess and give them no information, you literally can just watch that. And McMillions is one of the things that they, they show. I'm not going to record for anybody. I just, it just it felt really like you know they stretched it out more than they probably needed to is really how, what it how many parts an interesting it? story but it was stretched out. How yeah. many is it a part? How, is it like a docu series? Yes. How many parts? Six. And it could have been four. Could have been four. Could have been three. You know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. But I bring that up because I to I stand by this one of the greatest. It's in my top three for sure greatest documentaries ever made and i'm surprised people haven't seen it and you if you haven't seen it you need to watch it now is king of kong oh dude full of quarters there are people that have not seen that documentary and i've I didn't never even heard of it watch, oh watch king of kong fist full of quarters i don't it's know on, find it and it watch it. amazon or hulu i think it's everywhere <laughs> Or Jen, get a piece of no. paper. Wait, no, I think Jen just opened up the yellow pages. No, Jen, it's not in the yellow pages. You got to. <laughs> I'm looking in the back for in the want ads. Is it here? <laughs> Fistful no, of quarters. Brian, you're right. King of Kong is exceptional. Sounds exceptional. like a porn. And even if, 
even if you have no, no, it's about video games, honestly. And if, even if you have no interest in or nostalgia for those older games, it's still really interesting and really entertaining. And because of the way everybody looks, it's captivating because you're like, that's what you wore out of the house that day. Weren't another half shirt guy. Are you sure that was necessary? Like there's the, the wardrobe choices are enough to keep you interested. You know what I mean? It's really, I think it's really well done. I, there's a lot of those types of um, documentaries though, that are out there that I love. Yeah, absolutely. But that, I just got me thinking that if you're looking for like, I mean, that one is, and it's also just one, it's an hour and a half or an hour 20, whatever it is, it's just that. And you're not committing yourself to, you know, endless streams of stuff. Yeah. 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 I, definitely. You know, um, I don't, I don't want to, um, so you, is there anything you guys saw this weekend that you want to share with real quick before we switch gears? I watched the Tony Robbins documentary yesterday. Oh God. What is that? That's interesting. I thought it was going to be like 15 minutes of look what he's doing. And then like two hours of, and here's the dark side of Tony Robbins. And it was not that it was a two hour documentary about look how badass Tony Robbins is, I guess. But oh, so Tony Robbins made the Tony Robbins documentary. Yeah. but know. They also show that he doesn't just randomly pick people. They tell him who to pick, who has the most fucked up backstory. They tell him who to pick. They tell him, I mean, there, there is that, which isn't, that's not surprising to me though at all, really. But what I think is most, what I'll say is as silly as some of that stuff was to me, I believe that it genuinely helps people. Oh yeah, for sure. And he says it and like up until he, they talked to him kind of more in depth. I was sort of, I was sort of like, what is his angle? Because the whole time I'm like, he's gotta have it. And he's like, finally they get to him and he's like, Hey, I don't think what I do is the best way. I don't think it's the only way. And I don't think it's for everybody. I'm just a guy who thinks people should be able to strive to get more out of life. And I get off on helping people do that. I mean, his methods, some of them made me laugh so hard. Like he was like, I use language. I use, I and use I like curses. I curse. All he says is the F word. He says yeah. fuck over and over. He doesn't say any creative curse words. He doesn't get cool with it at all. He just says fuck a bunch of times as if in the room, you're supposed to be like, oh my God, he's swearing at me. Like it's so, and he, and he overuses it, which is yeah. even more comical. It's like. I don't know. There's there's a lot of stuff in there that made me laugh personally. At the same time, breaking it down, some people just need to be told they're better than they think they are. Some people have such a low self-esteem or such uh, low expectations from life or whatever it is. He's there to be like, no, man, you can keep going. You can do this. Like, if, if I can rise up out of fucking being nothing, you can too. Like, it's it. I can see where people would get really into it. Looks okay. like somebody ordered the tapes, John. <laughs> tapes, dude. I'm watching the free YouTube videos. No, I. but look, it's not my thing necessarily. I don't need to be in a room full of people like I, – I don't need that. Like I'm not turning to my neighbor to find out who they are. That's not my thing. But for people who couldn't come out of their shell or who were not able to function at work or who just phobias about being in public and – I mean this guy is like – he also, if you hear the list of 
people he helped, like he helped Kobe Bryant a lot. Like people, yeah, he worked mental with block in, in certain areas. Like he helped a lot of athletes. He worked with a lot of professional athletes. The, what really got to me was the first person that stands up in the thing. I was so in. <laughs> I was so. The guy with the red shoes. News. Hey, John. Just warning you with all those f bombs. Your mom's watching. Okay. <laughs> But, it, but but the first girl that stands up, she's 19 years old, okay? She's like, sometimes life is hard. She's 19. She's a white 19-year-old. And I, and I don't know her, so I'm like, yeah, sometimes life is hard. And then she goes, he goes, what, what would you like to fix? And she was like, mm, my eating. I have e- like eating. And so I'm like, oh, she's got an eating disorder. This is terrible, right? He's like, what, what about your eating? She's like, mostly that I just eat like bad food and that like I don't eat at the right time of day. I'm like what i wanted to reach through my tv and slap her and be like well then set a fucking alarm you idiot like what do you mean you don't know when to eat what are you talking about like it was baffling i don't remember that girl i remember the guy with the red shoes Uh, and again you're fucking you fuck you fuck 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 yeah your red shoes are fucking fucking and then parent was like oh tell you (laughs) robin So again, it's very comical to me. I d- it did not take a, an evil turn. He does not seem like a bad dude. He's got yeah. methods. He loves trampolines. I'll say that. <laughs> he is always bouncing on a fucking trampoline. Very strange to me. Blood going. And his move, Jen, you know his move right before he goes on stage? He's like, wham, and then he spins. I, I looked at Nicole and I go, I'm going to do that the next time I get to do stand-up. That's going to be how I... Did you end up getting obsessed with the way he claps? He goes like this. Oh, he's like like a baby. But he can't... He doesn't clap. (laughs) I could not stop looking at that. I was like, what is wrong with this guy? He doesn't know how to clap. Basic (laughs) movements, dude. Okay. Weird, because he, like, seems like he's in shape, but not necessarily athletic. Do you know what I mean? He's just big. uh, He's a big guy. And that weird ice pool he has that he jumps into. <laughs> I think Brian's tired of Tony Robbins. <laughs> no, I, 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 this John apparently is John and Tony Robbins. It's a John and Tony Robbins. John's going to have his own separate podcast going. You're not going to believe what Tony jo- Robbins has been doing. I listen to Tony Robbins' podcast, and then I have a podcast where I go, here's what Tony Robbins was talking about today, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Jen, would you like to read what Patrick Keene wrote? Because this is a classic um, uh, Patrick Keene combining things that are not necessarily needed to be combined, but go ahead. I'm sorry, what? Did you see Patrick Keene? Patrick Keene Tony Robbins. Oh, you don't see it. Sorry. Go ahead, John. Go ahead. Patrick saw Shallow Hell with Irwin in Culver City a year, years ago. Some kids were talking at the beginning of the credits, and Brian yelled at them at the top of his lungs in the theater, and it scared everyone into complete silence for the next two hours. Even me. I a new stage. I don't know what that has to do with Tony Robbins, but... Dude, you saw Tony, you saw you Shallow Hell start, and you're like, I'm going to be my best Brian. Shut up, everybody. <laughs> oh my god that's so funny uh good stuff uh hello finn uh tommy i put it up there earlier while you were talking john uh tommy had this quote i want to let you know about that we were talking about the video games i did not know that jim norton comedian jim norton was a was a uh, world record gamer i didn't oh, know that awesome. either that's cool mm-hmm. did tony robbins help him too tony robbins jim norton when he was a uh, winning pac-man 
Oh, he said in the eighties. In the eighties, he 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 reached out. Oh, Tony Robbins was in the movie. Got it. Uh, yeah, he was in. Oh, I thought you knew that, Brian. He was in Shallow Hell. You were yeah, too it's been a while. Hey, fan. Mouth at yelling at young children to understand who was all in it. By the way, I heard you guys. Um, I heard. I heard the the reference of uh, blood. Anybody read about this lady? Yes, yeah. that video is so good. Let me. Here, I, I can't play the video, but I'm gonna play. I'm gonna play what she said just so everybody can hear it. Here we go. I'm covered in Jesus' well, blood. Other people who don't go to this church who you might encounter. All of these people go to this church. No, but you're going to be in places where other people I go are. to the grocery store every day. I'm in Walmart, what? Home Depot, all of those but you people. you could get them sick from what happens They the could church. get me sick, but they're not because I'm covered in his blood. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, it's so good. <sighs> you know... Could you take your fucking mug off the... Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to do it. So... <laughs> So I, I will say something. This kind of goes – the reason why I brought that, this up is because, look, that lady's just obviously crazy. But I was thinking about this, and John, I think – Walmart every day, Brian. John, John has, has brought this up before about how we're all connected. And I think if there was anything that I, that I think defines that is this virus. We are all connected. So to disconnect yourself from something that – you're just basically in denial. You know what I mean? It just the, the virus actually tells you how connected we all are as human beings. And the fact that we're not using that as a way to go, yeah, we're all connected. So let's do this together. Is, is It's so weird to me that there are still people out there that are like, no, we're not connected and we're not doing this together. That's your problem. I can't. I'm sorry. What do you think those kids you yelled at in the movie theater are doing today? Like they're probably <laughs> what, 20, 25 now. <laughs> you think they're like, Man, that guy taught us a lesson. Um, <laughs> listen, if I would like to believe that was the case, just like the woman who threw all her trash out of the car, and I walked over and I said, "What the fuck are you doing? Throw <laughs> your trash on the ground!" And she like slammed her door and took off so fucking fast she didn't pick up the garbage. So I don't know if the screaming always works. You got to shovel works. it and then dump it back into their car. I mean, she was just literally like, I mean, a pile of trash just being thrown on the ground. And that that does set me off, but, you know. Sorry, yeah, Brian. Anyway, uh, enjoy, enjoy, enjoy your lady, Easter sermon. I mean, oh. Well, you all sneeze on each other and send it out to Nana. Enjoy your Easter service. What? You're saying that why doesn't she understand we're all connected, but obviously there's still mental illness in the world and she seems like she has a problem. There's no way she's not a little bit. I mean, I'm again not going to sit here. I mean, it'd be one thing to say like Jesus kind of language. (laughs) It'd be one thing if she said like Jesus will protect me, but to say she's covered in His blood is a little bit like. It's like I don't think she understands the Bible. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing's that got there. Alex is spoken. I agree. He'll be out in a few minutes. It's our guest, Alec Chambers, going to be uh, coming on in a little bit. Hey, um, Heather Spearman. Uh, Heather, sorry, Heather Wisniewski is watching. Um, awesome. Do you think that lady gets really excited when she gets her period? I don't have <laughs> Jesus' blood coming out of me. Well, no, I wonder. I don't know. I mean, or the exact opposite. Maybe she just puts it all up. She's trying to, she's trying to, she's puts it in a bucket. Maybe that's, a de- maybe that's demon water to her. She probably saves know. it all, puts it in the freezer. Hey, I mean, people like that, you don't even want to know. You guys don't want buckets of my period blood? Um, <laughs> why would we want that? <laughs> Jesus blood and stuff. Sorry, this is getting gross. I apologize. Yeah, no, Jen, Jen, you brought it there. Uh, but you know what's not gross? But 
Uh, so um, I decided to go it's down the Glenn A. Larson uh, path. Glenn A. Larson was a producer back in the 70s and 80s, and he made a lot of everybody. I told you I was watching the Nancy Drew. Um, oh, Hardy Boys. Stuff like that. Glenn A. Larson created uh, Magnum P.I. Mm. Um, he created Battlestar Galactica, uh, Buck Rogers in the 25th century, all those TV shows. Um, he also, and this is what I watched yesterday. He also created Knight Rider. I've never seen that show, so I decided to watch. You never watched Knight Rider when you never were young? Never saw it. So now Knight Rider is my new so pleasure. And I it is, uh, you know. Dude, Knight Rider is awesome. Well. I mean, when I was a kid, the idea of a talking car was pretty cool. Yeah, I've never watched it as an adult. Well, here's well, the thing. It's it's I'm watching it because I love the cheese aspect of it. I'm not watching it because I was like, this is probably one of the best TV shows ever made. I'm not comparing it to like the Sopranos or something else. You should watch the A team if you want cheese. I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get there. The A team is pretty corny. It's awesome. But it was my favorite show as a kid. It was my favorite show. I never missed an episode of the A team. And I loved MacGyver every time he would fix something. We watched MacGyver in college a lot, actually. Here's can I tell you guys one thing that I have noticed in watching this stuff now because TVs are so big, you realize how many things they didn't care about or try or got away with because TV screens were smaller yeah. and the quality, the standard definition of the show itself, you would miss things. Like in the pilot episode, the kit car drives up by itself <laughs> to David Hasselhoff, and there's just one shot where you see a guy's hand come off the wheel. And like hide back behind the seat again. You're like, they didn't even give a shit. Are you they not there. <laughs> they made it. They, 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 the only funny thing about it was he was we- he was wearing the same color jacket as as the leather seats. And I, they were like, good enough. That's good enough. <laughs> Camouflage. Wouldn't it be great if it was like David Hasselhoff trying to stuff the guy who does the voice down, but it just looked like some dude was constantly sucking his dick, and he was just. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're going dirty today. What's up, me and um, my other favorite one was when I was watching one of the um, – I was watching a car chase in, in – I think it was the Hardy Boys or something like that or Nancy Drew, one of those ones. But that would have been about 1975, 76. And there was one quick shot where they didn't even bother taking – like they had the close-up camera and the close-up lights were still on the front of the car. And when they went to the wide shot, the car's driving down the street with a camera on it and two lights blasting at the actors on the inside of the car. And they literally just left it in there. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, I'm watching this thing 40 some odd years later and no one, no one was even like, eh, we should probably take that out. They're like, no, no. There's an editor like, I could, but no one cares. And they're like, okay. <laughs> And the How other thing you ever know that you're going to be watching it on a 60 inch green TV. Well, and also, but also think about this when they made those things, when they had those gaffes and made those mistakes back in the day, there was no internet. There was nowhere to write about it. There was nowhere to discuss it. You just saw it. You might've went, huh. And you moved on with your life. There was literally nobody hanging on to having more discussions about it. There was a, there's a cut, you know, the movie duel. It was Steven Spielberg's first movie. It was about a truck that like stalked a car. Basically, it was like a truck driver. No one knew why, but this guy terrorized a motorist. And at one point, there's a, a shot. No, that was Stephen J. Canal. Yeah, Stephen J. Canal was the was the other. There was a crossover. Um, Glenn A. Larson and Stephen J. Canal, because apparently you had to use your middle initials on both of those guys. 
um, they uh, they did a crossover with Simon and Simon. Ah, good to know. But anyway, in Duel, there's a shot on the, it was made for TV, so they showed it on TV. But it was so good, they also put it in theaters. In the shot, like the bigger shot, there's Steven Spielberg in the back seat, <laughs> crouched down for like a split second of frame, and just in there, they're like, eh, "Yeah, okay." And then they were like, "Great, you want to do Jaws?" Jaws. <laughs> when I was 27, I could barely function. That dude directed Jaws. My favorite thing in watching movies is when either what we call in the business a bogey. Or someone who just didn't realize they were rolling, and you'll you'll always see them in the deep background. They'll start walking, and they'll go, "Oh!" oh and they have like that, <laughs> and they go, and they literally realize they're caught on camera. And you just have that awkward moment where they slowly try to back out, making it even more uncomfortable. <laughs> Those are my I don't favorite. Think I've ever noticed they're that. So deep Dude, background that watch. no one's paying attention, but man. Watch, watch a lot of even friends, watch friends, like background actors in that, like just really, if you just watch them focus on them because they're conversating, what they're faking, they're like, yeah, <laughs> I get obsessed watching the like, extras. Some of them are like, <laughs> really, it's pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Bad. bad. There was, I think didn't Saturday Night Live do a, um, a sketch about bad background actors or something like that. I could have no, swore they did. Not. Yeah, I'm sure um, they did. Like two decades ago, Ricky Gervais had a really hilarious show called Extras. Yes, oh that, was a, great, that Extras. was a great show. That one starts out with making fun of them. Oh, right. What I liked about that show, though, is it starts out making you like almost kind of like ha ha background people, but then they bring you in. And of course, they're like they're human beings. They have lives. They have, you know what I mean. Like he did a great job with that show. Honestly, all of Ricky Gervais's shows, from The Office to Extras to Derek to uh, Afterlife. <clears throat> All of them start with characters who you're like, these fucking weirdos. You, you get you're almost like irritated by all of them, and then a couple episodes in, you're like, oh no, no, they're just people trying to live. And then by the end of it, you love all of them. Like the character development, the way he reveals the different layers of his characters on his shows is it's some of the greatest TV I've ever watched. Like I loved, I, I put off watching Derek because I was like. I felt weird him playing like a mentally challenged person. It was just weird to me. And then I watched it and I was like, Oh my God, is this a good show? Holy oh, it is. Derek. That's the one I have not seen is Derek. Watch it, dude. You'll love it, dude. You will love it. And then you okay. see, he reuses characters, like not characters. Actors. <laughs> Jen's got, got her thing to watch notebook. Dude. And afterlife is so good. <laughs> Weirdos that he surrounds himself with in Afterlife. They're all, it's just so good, man. It's, and his comedy too, his specials. I love his specials. I think he's so funny. He's great. Oh, he's a dude who loves dogs, thinks people are a virus. He's correct. Hey, uh, a couple things. Uh, our guest Alex Chambers is, is is coming up in a little bit, but I don't want Jen to go just yet. I want to I want to I want to talk to you guys about one other thing that happened to me this weekend, and I'm curious uh, to get your guys' feedback with respects to what it was like when you were growing up. But my kids kept making reference to the quarantine, this, the quarantine, that, and I started realizing like that's going to be their thing. They're going to remember for the rest of their lives. This this moment in their lives is going to be their thing, right? Um, all the fears and anxieties and all the news and like everything is about the quarantine. So that's their thing. And I was trying to think like what, 
when I was growing up, like what was my thing? And I, and I, I only remember like, I remember vaguely for a long, a, sh- a short period of time that they, there was a, a sky lab was falling and, the, and that this was going to be some sort of uh, uh, thing that was in the sky that was going to land on you, which is so funny. It's like, it's, if it lands on somebody, it's going to land on like one person, but yet there's hundreds of millions of people that are freaking out at the sky lab. And then there was a movie that reignited um, the fear of nuclear war. It would have been during the Reagan era. And I can't remember. It was a mini series that was either on ABC or something like that. And it was about what the world was like after a, um, I was trying to remember what it was. And I don't have time to, to, to Google it right now, but like um, it was, it was a busy mini series about what life was like apocalyptic life was after a nuclear war. And so that became like the big fear again was like, are we going to get into a nuclear war with Russia? When I like in the early eighties, that's what I worried about. And I'm just curious with you guys, if you remember what your thing was that freaked you out, like for like your kids, gener- your, your generational thing, you know? Well, when I was 10 in Southern California, right in the city I lived was uh, the night stalker. I don't know if you guys knew the night with stalker. The Ramirez. He was killing in that in, by Arcadia and where I lived. Didn't you say your aunt went on a date with him? No. Oh, you just make that up. Did you think I just said that just now? No, not just now. I thought you told me that a while ago. Oh, oh. no, no. Um, but that was for a, almost a whole year. And that probably scared the crowd. I, I, I remember watching, I think. That was now, terrifying. I would go to sleep at night. Like, is he going to come in my window? Because he would get going uh, girls' windows and like. I was in them. Illinois and not a girl. And I was scared of that dude. <clears throat> And and I and I, you know what's what's and I it's funny you bring that up, Jen, because I you remember I think was it was it Spike Lee that made the Son of Sam movie or something like that, and it yeah. really like, focused on it like focused movie. on people's like genuine fear of going out and not knowing. You're right. You know that's very similar to right now. Like especially if you're a child or a young girl, like day in wanting to do anything. You know. Yeah, because at that point you're hearing all these stories, but you don't even really know what rape is necessarily. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Not that it's any less terrifying now, but I don't know. It's just to and be that. And you also it. probably had to deal with acid rain out here, right? Wasn't that a thing too? Acid rain. <laughs> don't you guys remember acid rain? I do. Meanwhile, meanwhile in the Midwest, we had acid wash jeans. Yeah, that's right. Yes. Yeah, you did. <laughs> yeah, you did. Johnny Thunder. So uh, what about you? Dude, I remember when the space shuttle blew up. The Challenger when I was in fifth yeah. grade it scared the shit out of me. And I, it was the first time I remember thinking, um, oh, maybe we can't do everything we want to do all the time whenever we want to do it. Like if America can't figure out how to get out into space, you know, it was like it was just really weird. It's like when you it's the first time you go to your dad with your math homework and he goes, what the f- I don't know what the fuck this is. And you're like, oh, adults don't know everything. Interesting. <laughs> it was like. That realization where you're like, oh, man. Um, but also, uh, we didn't have any, like, I mean, I don't know when John Wayne Gacy was killing people. I remember I remember reading and seeing in the news about Jeffrey Dahmer, but that was yeah. after he was arrested. You know what I mean? That was like, it wasn't like somebody's eating children and then they found him. It was like, they found him and I was like, God, there's people like that out there? Holy shit. Yeah, and the thing about him and the reason why... The, the reason why the Dahmer thing was so different than the Night Stalker was because Dahmer was killing people that nobody was talking about, that no one yeah. was worried about that was missing. And that's yeah. how he got away with it for so long. It wasn't until a guy went running down the street with blood on his body screaming, some dude's trying to eat me, that, you know. They took that guy back to his place, though. 
Uh, I mean, again. Yeah. They took that one. There was like a dude who escaped and was like, help me, help me, help me. And they're like, hey, this guy said he came from your apartment. Is everything cool? Oh, yeah, it's my boyfriend. He's crazy. Cops were like, all right, weirdos, see ya. One of the cool things about the Night Stalker was I remember watching live on TV. The cops didn't catch him. A bunch of neighborhood guys recognized him and like five of them all jumped him. And Really? Like, yeah. Like a citizen's arrest. Wait, my neighbor went after raccoons that got into the garbage. Like they saw him walking down the street and they all attacked him and then they called the police. And Jen, <laughs> wow, for them. And Jen, it was the that wasn't he's not the one that um that was doing it with his cousin or whatever. It wasn't a two person job. Was that the was that the hillside strangler? Was that a different one? Yeah, I believe he was alone. Then when he okay. went to jail, a bunch of women wanted to marry him. Of course. Just like Ted Bundy. Just like Manson. So weird. So weird. Yeah. Well, you never have to worry about the pop in. That was on Seinfeld, remember? <laughs> Marry a prisoner. You don't got to worry about the popping. <laughs> Dating easy. Scheduled visits. So, yeah. Thank you for bringing up that childhood trauma. Well, well that's crazy. I mean, I'm sure. And I'm sure your mom was like, you got to stay in. It's crazy. Like, she was probably terrified as well, you know. Huh. I don't oh, remember her being scared. She was like, it's cool. Trump will save us. <laughs> <laughs> Home Alone 2 is on, everybody. Never mind. <laughs> You sound uh, exactly like my mom. What's that? You sound exactly like my mom. <laughs> By the way, I didn't watch this documentary. We'll, we'll put a button on this conversation. I, I only watched about 20 minutes of this documentary, but I was flipping around Hulu, and there's a documentary about some guy that parents hire the clown. They hire the clown to scare the crap out of their kids when they've been naughty. And I forget what the name of the – it's down in – you're never going to believe what state this takes place. Alabama, Arkansas, no. Missouri. Florida. Thank you, Florida. Jen. Yeah. Um. And so speaking of childhood trauma and the reason why I turned it off, because at first I was like, oh, it's like one of those guys. He goes and stands in like, you know, security cameras and like pretends, you know, and scares people. And it's like, no, parents are calling them to scare their kids. And I'm never going to tell anybody how to parent, but I had to turn it off because I was like, I, I have kids and I could never imagine doing that to my kids, no matter how bad they were. Like, well, that, it's scarring. It's scarring. Dude, first of all, your kids aren't pieces of shit. So you don't know what it's like to have pieces of shit for kids. So I'm sure if you have pieces of shit for kids, maybe hiring a clown might be your only option at a certain point. However, I think that's super weird. Uh, also, are they hiring? Can I do it online? And <laughs> Yes. Well, I don't know if the guy still does it. I think he. I turned it off after he started getting pissed off because he went too viral. And he was getting too many phone calls. So he's like, and he's like, you know, and like anything, there's, you know, 50% of them are haters. So it's like, he just, Hey, uh, but anyway, I just, that was, that was where I drew, I kind of drew the line of like, yeah, you shouldn't be messing with the kids. And yes, kids can be douchebags every once in a while, but the apple never falls that far from the tree. So really no, at the end of the day, absolutely. Also, uh, I'm sure you meant John Wayne Gacy. John no, Wayne no, Gacy. no, this other guy, Gary. He didn't How do anything wrong. Gary just worked for the UPS. Yeah, he didn't <laughs> do anything wrong. He just lived near him. <laughs> John Wayne and Gary are three different people. They were roommates at the time. <laughs> they were a law firm. <laughs> I worked for John Wayne and Gary, the weird <laughs> law firm that uses first names. <laughs> Oh, poor Forrest. Bring in Alec and you don't have to leave. Yeah, Jen, yeah, that's that's true. Jen, you can do whatever you want, Jen. But we will bring in our guest. Our guest today, um, John, if you want to go ahead and introduce everybody to our guest today. Our guest today, artist, editor, drummer, um, ex-art department from Punked and many other hidden camera shows, 
Michigander Alec Chambers, everybody. Hey, everybody. How you doing? I accept you all of those titles. Me. That's good. Yeah, that was good, right? That was that's, that's very good, right? Yep. I yep. feel like because when I met you, you were in the art department on Punked, but you yep. were editing for what you really wanted to do, and then now you're in Michigan again. You're doing art, but you still work production out there, don't you? Well, I was. Um, oh, okay. well, I was around 2010 and 11 or so, and there used to be incentives here that were really good. Uh, really good. And um, that all got squashed by the governor and all kinds of stuff. Gotcha. Uh, that was like right in the Detroit know. area. Yeah. Like Detroit was going to be pretty much what Georgia is now. That was, I remember they were trying to get more filming in Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there was yeah. a lot of big films filmed in Detroit for a while, right? Like for, they were for a while there was, you're city, right, right. Using the yeah. cityscape, right? Absolutely. It was, um, it was going to be the whole Avengers franchise was Detroit had a contract oh. until Marvel said, Oh, Detroit doesn't know what the fuck it's doing. So let's, uh, oh. let's, let's bail. And it was really brutal because, you know, and it, for me, it's tough to talk to LA people and get, you know, any kind of emotion out of other States film incentives. I get that. I totally get that having lived in both places, but I mean, for Detroit, it would have been massively cool. It would have been Dude. super, super cool. A city that needed something. Needed everything. Like really, yeah. And has the locations. Like yeah, yeah. empty buildings galore. Like streets and streets of nothing, you know? Yeah, I mean, and, and old uh, automotive factories deserted to turn into whatever you want. Dude, I mean, one hidden camera show could shoot 9,000 francs out of one warehouse for, from General Motors. Hey, but yeah. you did have Transformers. They did do that. I was actually working on, uh, when that was here, I was working on Hostel 3 straight to video. Ooh. That was exciting. But it was all in the same train station in Detroit. That's a beautiful place. Ridiculous uh, tile mosaics all over the, the ceilings and walls. It's ridiculous. There's a reason everybody shot there. Um, but, yeah, I was shooting the wrong movie. <laughs> so, Alec, I, obviously John knows a lot more about you than I do. So you were out here. For a while, yeah. but are you is is Michigan your home? Is that where you grew up? Was Michigan? Yep. Is that why you're there? Yes, absolutely. I grew up in Michigan, and uh, um, until I was uh, 30 years old, I lived here. Well, okay. I, lived, I lived in Florida for a minute, but I don't talk about that. Florida's <laughs> you. That was a blackout. Not on my big brag list. You blacked out. Woke up in Florida. You're like, oops, gotta get a job. Get out of here. <laughs> Well, yeah, I mean, no, I mean, I worked there and had a job doing whatever. I've had more jobs than I can sometimes even recall. It's ridiculous. Whereabouts but, in uh, Michigan did you grow up? I grew up in White Lake, where I am right now. I'm, okay. I'm not uh, two miles from where I grew up. I'm uh, very close to where my girlfriend grew up as well. She and I are both Don't close. So we can be uh, near our parents at this point. Are, are um, you? What, what's what's the mo the biggest major city that you're closest to? Major city, uh, yeah. Pontiac. Okay. Show okay. us on the hand. Yeah. <laughs> right around there. There you go. Right around you, there. Um, oh, Eastern uh, Michigan. Yeah, Southeast Michigan. Yeah, Oakland County. And for your. I mean, we'll get to what obviously got you out to LA, but um, you're not you're not an actor, you're not a stand-up comedian, correct? You you correct. Well, you met John through art, and is that where it's always been? Has art always been your thing? And was that an early thing for you, art? Well, that's a that's a weird label because art, uh, as far as drawing, yes, I've done that 
my whole life uh, uh, to varying degrees of whether or not I was any good. But as far as art department and films, no, yeah, not at all. I mean, I did it. I, 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 it's a whole long story of, you know, from here to there and then doing it. But I never once thought growing up, I'm going to be in the art department. Never. Yeah. Never. I think I'm going to go to dildos in every scene on this hidden camera show. Right. No. And especially art department on hidden camera. Because right. if you remember at the time, uh, I even worked on one, like John worked on Jamie Kennedy experiment. Right. Yeah. Well, we worked on uh, scare tactics, which was like basically right after that. Yeah. And that was my first gig uh, in production in scare LA. Scare tactics is intense too. That's like. Every other that was a lot. Was like, you can't threaten that was a lot. people. Scare tactics is like, take them into the other room and pretend to blow their brains out. It's like, yeah, uh, uh, six, six Sasquatch on them in a trailer park and see what they do. It's like, yeah. what? Yeah. Really? Okay, yeah. sure. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, for me, that was a big trial by fire. That's did the best you, way I can put it. Did you... Um, did you, when you were practicing your artwork, uh, were you also into heavy metal and did you draw some pretty kick-ass stuff on your notebooks in high school? <laughs> uh, no, I was kind of lame. I was um, drawing a lot of uh, wilderness scenes even then. And if I wasn't drawing that, I did draw some Van Halen logos. There we go. I found that to be pretty cool. I drew Everybody Van Halen. And I don't know how many times I drew the Dead Kennedys logo. Because it's Before awesome. You ever heard the band? Oh sure, yeah, yeah. But oh, I didn't yeah. know how many times all I that shit before I heard the band. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but um, am I yelling? Because I have headphones on. I feel like I'm screaming at you guys. No. Uh, what? I always um, feel that way on here too. Right? Yeah, no, I don't have yeah. little earbuds, so I'm using you, these you, giant. Canes. You are totally fine. By the way. Um, not only a great movie, but some of the greatest artwork. And there's a guy that did that artwork, the Vertigo poster you have behind you. I know that guy did a lot of great stuff in the 1960s. I can't remember the artist. I, I mean, are you familiar with the artist that does that? I, stuff? I am not. I, I'll, I'll admit I got that on like posters.com. But it's a great, I mean, you'll, you did a lot. If you actually Google the name of the guy that created that stuff, you'll see some pretty amazing. It's super artwork. cool. If you get any kind of uh mid-century film artwork of any kind that's legit that's priceless it's it's gorgeous stuff it's so beautiful yeah absolutely so so um what did you do in high school what did you do when you got out of high school you said you really didn't get into doing any of the film and television stuff until you were 30 so what was what was your drive early on well uh that's a two-part thing i guess because in high school all i did was um listen to music and run track you ran track yeah, well, sort of track. It was it was an offshoot of the high school track called the Runners Club, and I used to run long distance uh, races in that. It wasn't like Whoa. for any, any kind of letter or anything. Um, but I was I was in the marching band, but I was also a, a drummer in the marching band, so that was okay. So you hazed is what you're saying. You were a hazer. No, 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 no. We weren't like that at all. We were all about just playing. Hazing is lame. But um, no, I mean. Uh, that was it. Marching band. Um, Always so you, running in marching band. That's all right. Those are good things. Uh, for the most part. And listening to a lot of music with headphones a lot like this. Uh, and so zoning the, out and just drawing whatever I pictured while I was listening to it. 
did you go to art school afterwards or did you just go to regular school and art? Well, after high school, I went to uh, a community college and took an art class there, but it was really, it was really lame with the very biased uh, instructor that was um, inappropriate, like towards the, the, the models. I don't know how to put this. It was really weird because we, well, no, I, maybe <laughs> he, cause we'd have a, a model there and she'd be standing there and he would say odd things like, Oh, she's see how the, it was terrible. It, like, like the way the shadows fall against whatever, it was just really unnerving. And he loved all the girls in the class that were taking the class and, and dogged every dude's artwork that was in there. And the girls saw it and the guys saw it and everybody was like, this guy's a menace. He's horrible. So he had a so for me, I learned nothing. I was like, well, that was complete waste of time. I don't want to I, I'm always that. curious. My dad also went to art school, and I, I should ask him this question as well. But you're gonna say my dad was also a perp. <laughs> <laughs> no. My, my dad almost saw, was also inappropriate to women all the time. No. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> Excuse no. me. Sorry, Bri. <laughs> so going back to what I was saying was um School and yeah. respects to art itself because it's such a it's such an individual expression. Is, is what was your takeaway? I mean, obviously that specific experience was just bad on multiple levels, but school yeah, in general for you and learning in general uh, in an institutional form for art. Like, what was what? what how do you see all that? Uh, well, as far as school didn't give me any direction towards art for myself they did for a lot of other people did real great with it and that's great um for me it was more of if i phased out during a, a lecture about some sort of uh uh mathematical equation i would think about drawing something you know that to me that was more about that um i i wasn't a great student but i could draw pretty well and right? so where did so, that take you so how, so you get out of that obviously and then what not awful not awful far <laughs> but it, in fact, it also, I mean, morally, I think pretty far because I paid very good attention to what I was drawing and uh, also what other people could show me about what I was drawing. Um, I, I, it was more of a, um, but was there, was there an outlet for you? I mean, I always wonder you know, you obviously know you have this creative side and you are learning and you're absorbing and you're evolving, but how do you translate that into being able to pay for things for yourself? Like how do you connect those dots with what you're starting to develop? That part's uh, probably the single most difficult part of being an artist. And I think any artist would say this unless, you know, they've hit some plateau of, ridiculousness but it's to me um what i do now i don't break the bank doing this yeah you don't spend your own money on a shit ton of materials and uh i i do actually but <laughs> i also i mean i'm sorry that uh, yeah i mean i do you but it's also you're sitting in a, like a, at a ba- like a burned out building we're like oh <laughs> yeah no i see i'm very fortunate that i don't have to do all of that that a lot of when you hear starving artists that's exactly what they do they they live hand to mouth because they don't want to live any other way it's their live and die with their art and that's awesome but 
I do that to a degree, but I can't say I'm a starving artist because it's all because of the girl that I'm with. But when She's you a- were, but when you were young and you got out of college and you're an artist, what are you doing? Like, how how did that affect your your path of, of what you? What you oh said well, you as an artist, I didn't work as an artist all that time. I worked all over Hell's Half Acre. I mean, I worked. Um, I used to work. Uh, putting in closed circuit television for racetracks, um, pouring basement walls for the carpenters union. And so you didn't see art as being anything that could ever equal. No, no, it's something I, it's literally something I did. I think I'm yelling. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but um, something I did when I was on the phone on hold, drawing pictures on bills. So no one in your family, did, did you have any, like, were your parents drawers? Was there anything that was like... My mother's a painter. Yeah, she's, yeah. she's very good. And uh, John I, is a painter. She, she, he certainly is. Yeah. I've seen the stuff Maybe he both. does. And I think his uh, admiration for Bob Ross is spot on because that guy... That's all I know, baby. If you're listening, he'll teach you everything. If you're really listening and you're really Wait, willing to put it guy, in. If this guy's listening? <laughs> yes. Well, I don't know if that guy is, but I know that the fellow I that see on the guy, screen right now is. That guy didn't listen to anybody, dude. That no. guy had the answers to everything. <laughs> all right. So were you you were the guy basically, you're just you're the odd jobs guy. Did everybody know that you were an artist and kind of rag you for it? Not at all. Not at all. Yourself? I mean, I think people that grew up with you. me, people that grew up with me knew I used to draw like whatever, like if how far back we go, like in elementary school, drawing dinosaurs and whatever, just like stuff the kids draw. And in uh, like junior high school, high school, it became more about uh, girls, rock and roll, um, you know, uh, whatever else high school you get into. But drawing kind of went away for a lot of years, a lot of years. And, and so you get out of school, you're, you're doing odd jobs here and there. Were you actually also actively seeking a career at that point that had nothing to do with art and art was just always going to be a side gig? I'm just trying. I, I, just so you know where I'm going with this. I'm yeah, trying to I do. How all the things that you we do in our lives, we think at the time they don't connect any dots, but ultimately they end up connecting dots in little pieces of each thing we do in our lives connects to the totality of our decisions. You know, it's true. And art had probably very little to do with any of that at that point because yeah. uh, I had to, you know, be an adult and do stuff and make money and whatever. So for me, it was a lot of. Uh, Okay, well, you squandered your high school life doing whatever you wanted, and now you didn't go to college. So who are you? What are you doing? And it was a lot of, uh, well, I need to make money. And there were a lot of blue-collar ways to make money. Um, I grew up in a blue-collar house with my dad being an electrician, and he said, you know, you get you get into any union, they'll take care of you, you'll have money, whatever. You don't need to worry about it, and that's the safe way. You want to be an artist and starve? You're talking to the wrong guy. I don't know what that is. I said, that's fair. So I did that for a very long time. I poured basement walls and uh, learned exactly what I don't want to do in my life. And, you know, you know, respectable work. All those guys are tough fellas. It's not about not respecting those people. It's about figuring out who you are and being like, this isn't going to cut it for me. I'm not into this. Right. So I, I felt like, uh, you know, I'll do this stuff. Uh, I'll, I'll make the money. I'll, I'll get along, but I never thought I'll, I'll find a, a woman. I'll marry her. I'll have children and I'll get a house. That was never, ever 
um, in my eyeline. For and any now reason. you're getting married in October. And now I'm getting married. Yes. All but, right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on. I mean, you really connected these dots. I mean, it was so easy. Um, don't yeah, forget yeah. to look into that uh, poster behind you, and uh, we really appreciate you visiting. <laughs> Thank you very much. But yeah, it was a lot of um, you know trial by fire. Find out this. Do you work this job? Do you like it? No. Well, do something else. Uh, I and had all the life is though. That's what life. That's yeah, I'm just gonna say that that's that's the beauty of it is the fact that maybe in the moment you think we all think we may be making a bad decision staying where we are, but you're not. You're just feeling it out. You're just that's, trying to that's what it is. That's the road. That's what that's the road you take. And at times you have no idea that you're on a very important road that's teaching you things. You just think you've you've blown it a lot of times, and you're like, ugh, what yeah. have I done? And at like 28, I'm like, oh, it's over. I blew it, you know, yeah. and that's ridiculous. I mean, I'm 50 years old now and I'm happier, Ryan, than, I, I'm happier than I was in my twenties because. Cause you're smarter. I wasn't making all the money. I didn't have the house. I didn't have the stuff and that's all shit. Yeah. It's not shit. That's not true for me. It's shit. It's not that important. It's not as important as being happy. Which brings, right, me I mean, question, which brings me to my next question. Why on earth would you move to Los Angeles to try to get into a business when you're talking about just trying to find happiness? <laughs> well, Why would you ever in a million years go to a place where the answer is no to almost everything for decades? Where well, dreams come to die, Los Angeles. <laughs> yeah, you don't know that till you get there. That's, that's the I know. It, that, that. It's called youthful ignorance, right? So how old were you? When you right. actually, so two questions. How old were you when you finally made the jump to L.A.? And secondly... What was it that caused you to make the jump to Los Angeles? I was, uh, I think, 30 or 31 years old. Uh, and the jump came from the, the girl I was dating at the time. Uh, she was not having any part of Michigan. She came from Arizona. She was born in Michigan, but grew up in Arizona, whatever. She was not having any part of Michigan. It was like, we're getting the fuck out of here. We're, we're going to move. I'm like, we are? We're, okay. Good. Okay. Let's do that. I didn't know what that meant, really, other than, but I'm like, I have this great job pouring basement walls. She goes, that job sucks. I was like, well, it kind of does. You're right. It's really kicking my physical ass. I mean, it was yeah. a tough, tough job. Oh, man. So uh, we looked on, I know you guys appreciate this, West Side Rentals. Yeah. And found a house, a little tiny house in Glendale, looked at it and said, let's move there. That's perfect. Because there's no, you can't, this is before, there's no internet. You can't zoom yeah. in Google Street View. You can't. Exactly. Where the fucking neighbors are. Yeah. So it was this little, you know, picture on the on yeah, their site the with, with three different pictures of the inside and one of the parking lot. And we're like, okay, click, buy it. And then so we drove, uh, we got a rider truck, filled it with everything we had, drove uh, in January, like January 3rd of 2001, I think, we drove from, uh, we left from a friend's house in Brighton, Michigan. Okay, so Michigan, right? Mm -hmm. So we leave from Michigan, go to whatever it is, 40. It doesn't matter. We went through, we drove for, we drove all the way through, went to St. Louis Kept going, went to Oklahoma, went to Flagstaff. And I'll stop there because that's when it fucking stopped snowing. Oh, yeah. It was like this whole blizzard all the way to Flagstaff Oh, Jesus. from Ann Arbor and uh, Brighton. So 
But then you didn't see snow again until you moved back to Michigan. <laughs> no, but but I'm, I won't let that point up. That was a white knuckle drive for days of ice and snow and what the fuck. In a rider truck. Those things yeah, are it was terrible. Those it was things are terrible. Ice. <laughs> yeah, and I had never been uh, west to speak of before. Oh, wow. So for me, it was like this gradual peeling of my eyelids going, oh, fuck, this is awesome. How did you? Yeah, I was going to say, once you get to Arizona, you see like. You see Flagstaff and you're like, well, we could probably just stay here, right? This yeah. Is here. This is someone who has a question for you. What are oh. your favorite? He wants to know what your favorite artists and opinions about them. Who are your favorite artists and your opinion about them? Mm. Louis Molnar. Louis Molnar. I don't know if you ever worked with, with Lou Dog. He's a utility uh, guy. No, I haven't. Um, for me, I, I, I don't really bath or I can't boast about knowing. Um, Every great artist there is, I just sort of do it um, and learn along the way. I try to, but there is there is a, a, an inspiration I have called the Group of Seven, who are out of uh, Ontario, Canada, and they were this like group in the early part of the century that started a new style of painting of Algonquin Park in Ontario, that is absolutely beautiful to me. I mean, and to many other people, but that's what I discovered and went, wow, that resonates. That's beautiful. Um, there's seven and then there's a bunch of others, but they're called the group of seven historically. What well, about, beautiful. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say, what about um, you being a drummer? Who are your top five all time drummers? <laughs> that's so baited. That's like uh, for me, I, I was always a big uh, Genesis Peter Gabriel fan growing up, which I made think me that's trying to get into immediately was like there's not a lot of people i know that are super into the peter gabriel style right and there wasn't in 1980 whatever either there was no, nobody i, know I was the one kid in the midwest man. high school going hey you guys heard this and they're like no <laughs> you know uh, no so i i was sort of an island like why well, i like it so screw you guys whatever but well that's good though. So phil I mean, collins i think is Hilarious to laugh at because he's made it that way. It's his own fault. He's ridiculous. But as a drummer, the guy is legitimate. What do you mean he's made it Always that way? Always been legitimate. Uh, Susudio. Uh, oh. Pick a song. You know, he's yeah. he's turned it into a whole, like, you say Phil Collins, people go, Pfft. it's kind of a knee-jerk reaction. You go, oh, gross. But as a drummer from early on, he was ridiculous. Super good. And he still doesn't he still play drums and sing? No. No. He's he's literally a physical wreck. Like oh, really? all the years of playing with bad posture, like hunched over and oh. I mean, getting it, getting in there and playing, but also like with a horrible technique that just caught up with him and he had surgery on his arms, his back, and now oh. he walks on stage with a cane and sits on a stool and sings horribly and, oh no and i don't mean that in a funny way like i'm slamming him but it's just a fa it's horrible to look at because his technique beat him up so bad over the years that now he's this unwatchable presence that you know genesis before the virus came out said we're gonna tour again and i said i'm not going there's no way i'm gonna watch him sit on a stool and just be he just this played thing. the forum. He just played the forum last year, and I bet he sold it out. That doesn't I make it did, yeah. very good. 
Yeah. You know, it's just people want to see their heroes from the day. You know, whoever you are, if you're a prog rock guy, if you're a whatever, you want to see those people before they're gone forever. I agree. Yeah, I, was, I, I remember when um, Gilligan's Island did a, re, uh, uh, a reunion show, and I thought they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have done that because <laughs> let the classic. Yeah, you gotta home. just know when to say when. Like, uh, like not don't bring in cousin Oliver to the Brady Bunch. We don't need that kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that kid. I mean, I mean, bring in Kurt Russell surfing in. That was a great day. That was, that was funny. <laughs> but you know, so, other than that, just know when to say when is a big part of being an adult and saying. Um, Oh, can I go back to the, the – I'm curious. So for you, it seems like you were talking about like you, you're not naming artists per se. Are you one of those kind of guys that when you look at the world, like you can just go someplace, like just say you're you're in whatever, name the city here, and you're in that city, and you may see a really great piece of artwork, and that inspires you. It has nothing to do with the classics or the person. Is that kind of how you see the world? Like you, you'll just see something and become attracted to it and inspired by it? Yes, I think so. I think um, I, I, there's nothing wrong with being an uh, an authority on who's great and who isn't because that builds character. That's great. You know things. I'm not the guy. I'm not. I, I see something and I'm like, oh, it's beautiful. Or you know, I think everyone loves that, but I can't get on board with it or something. You know, one or the other. Right. Um, for me, it's about you can kind of see when somebody means it, when they paint, when they really mean it, not just that they're good, they have great technique. That's one thing, but when they meant it, when they painted it, like they really saw it and really loved it, it'll come through. It'll be this like, Holy shit, that's gorgeous. And there'll be other people who are technically good and do the, the, the work. And you look at it and you go, well, that's great. You know, that's technically great, but it doesn't really blow my hair back. It's not doing anything for you. No. So when you got out to LA, uh, also known as the, uh, you know, the, the first three months would have been your cocaine months. What, um, <laughs> uh, the old cocaine months. The, uh, you know, the first three months, man, can seem like a lifetime. It's when you get out here because, like, everything happens in those first three months. It's great. It's like a vacation. Everyone's super nice to you. You feel like you got the world. Is You're going to be able to grab this thing. You got this city figured out. People are telling you they're going to hook you up. All this stuff. And you're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, how was how were those first three months for you when you landed? For sure. I mean, man, you just nailed it. That brought me right back to those. <laughs> it's like you just get those, out of the car. Seriously, those crazy days of unloading that rider truck into that stupid little uh, uh, bungalow that we were in. And there were literally helicopters flying around with uh, spotlights because somebody had done some sketchy thing and ran past. We didn't know. I'm like, really? This is. Oh. <laughs> they were okay, cool. I'm like, this is actually pretty nice because the, the lights in the back of the truck were fried and they didn't work. I'm like, oh, well, that's helpful. That's good. Thank you. Thank so, you. All right. Yeah. So that's moving in. But um, it was really a lot of uh, this is awesome. Let's decorate the house. Let's uh, let's work on the yard a little bit and make it cool. And let's, you know, tell our friends and take pictures. That was month one. You know, and then month two is. All right, well, I'll start looking for work. It can't be that goddamn hard. There's all kinds of work here. It's a big place. You know, there's all sorts of shit to do. And it was uh, not, you know, my girlfriend who went, she had a job already with a, with the bank. She had it lined up just transferred. Got out here. Yeah, she was a financial advisor. She lives in the normal world. We're, we're, yeah, we're, she was we're like, I'll, I'll just transfer and it'll be like financially nothing changes for me. And I was like, well, I'm just going to go and 
hope shit works, you know, and it was like, it didn't for a long time. It didn't for about exactly what you said, three months. You uh, And I, I worked crazy, weird fucking jobs. Like the first, the first job I had, this goes back to your, uh, your reference of David Hasselhoff. <laughs> this is great. All back. By the, by the way, greatest, greatest, one of the greatest biographies ever written, Don't Hassle the Hoff, written by one David. Of one of the greatest titles of the greatest biography. Yeah, ever. yeah. <laughs> the type, best title. <laughs> uh, so there was a job, like back then it was in the uh, paper still. I mean, I'm not that old. I'm 50 years old. But then I was looking through the fucking newspaper yeah. for work. Here comes a, an ad for live camera switching with Jeff or whatever. <laughs> I don't remember his name. I'm like, well, I could do that. Was and it Tom Wayne Gary? <laughs> no, live camera switching. Gary. <laughs> yeah, that was that was his way of saying uh, we don't edit and post. We record live and distribute live. It's like, great. That's fine. And I need to take a step back. Uh, Brian, you might appreciate this. Um, one of the things I did was go to a broadcasting school called Specs Howard in Michigan. That's pretty well known in the rest of the world. It's not known at all because it's not very, you know, it's, it's what it is. It's whatever you make out of it. It teaches you everything you need to know, but you need to be the guy that runs out and does, you know, they promise 98% job placement at the end of your graduation, but watch out for what that job is when they, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was okay. So I did that and had all this uh, knowledge under my belt, knowledge. Went out and so this guy's like, live camera switching in LA, just come come do it. I'm like, all right. So I drove out, I met the guy and it was in his uh, living room. He's like, well, we're gonna, we're gonna get in my van. We're gonna go up to the oh. Hollywood Hills to this private school. I don't, and I'm sorry, I don't remember the name of the school, but it's where, it's where- uh, Wonderland. <laughs> right. Yeah, it was. Um, I know that's, uh, that's the school in the, up in the Laurel Canyons. It was in Laurel well, Canyons. No, it was. Oh. It was more towards like. Uh, is it La Can La Canada? Oh, yeah. yeah, that's it. Yes, that's it. I almost right. called it La Canada because I've been home for ten years. It so, feels yeah, okay. like Canada out there. It, it's yeah. right the circuit. It was somewhere up there. It was an all-private cool. girls' school, and they were doing a play. I went to they, that school. Did you really? Did you? You yeah. recorded Jen. It's very possible. Let me put it this way. Annette Benning's kid went right there. I don't even remember. Okay. Annette Benning and uh, what, her husband, help me. Uh, Warren uh, Beatty. Warren Beatty. Their, their daughter was in the production. And there was and, an all-male school down the street. Yes. yes it was way up on a, on a cliff. Yeah. So, okay, great. So all yeah. Academy was right down the street. Yeah. To me, I was like lost because I had just gotten there three months ago and was like, Dude, I'm, all, I'm on the top of the hill. It's all I know. This is really you, far away. <laughs> you had an experience that I had, and and I, I just want to veer off for just one second. I'll let you get back to your story. You experienced mm-hmm. something that the majority of people don't experience. Like when when you when you move to Hollywood, there's the beach area. There's Hollywood proper that people kind of live around. John used to live kind of over near Hollywood Boulevard, but that's not the typical place. Most people move to the Valley. That's it. So you know the Valley by mm-hmm. by Ventura Boulevard. You know Santa Monica, Venice right and then you know then there's all these other little pockets when you start talking about going off the two freeway down uh, out, out towards my when you go pat when you basically go yeah. east of the five freeway you're no longer a part where of are you or no, no you're not 
What the minute you pass like Eagle Rock and keep going, you're like, yes. Eagle Rock? What the people, fuck? Yeah. Where the fuck am I? I spent a decade downtown and I was like, wait a minute, this is not Hollywood. And I learned, no, that's how the business works. They go where they can film, right? They go where yeah. they can do it. Yeah. But and there's actually, a- even I saw what you were talking about before I moved out this way. That was way off the beaten path. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. And so, anyway, back to your, so here you go with this guy in a white van. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, he says, all right, so all you're going to do is stand there with a camera and just follow whatever the play is or the dance is, whatever, just follow the people. And I'll direct you from the van. You know, he had a whole control system in his van. It wasn't like a dirty, like gross van. Right, right, right. right. It was like a whole production van. So with all our cables running out, so we'd run all the cables, we'd do all the grunt work too and everything. And this is all for, you know, 10 bucks an hour or whatever it was. Um. So we record this whole show and it's uh, he says, here's the news. We're we're kind of up in a pretty affluent area. Um, You might run into people you recognize. Don't talk to them. Don't bother them. I said, well, that's fair. I'm not going to do that. You know, I get it. You know, their kids are in a recital. I get it. That's fine. Whatever. Uh, So I see Annette Benning. I see uh, Warren Beatty. Thank you. I can't remember his name. And I see them and they're talking. They're like, you know, chit-chatting with their neighbors or whoever in this beautiful place that we're in and whatever. I thought, okay. So I went and got a drink of water uh, at the drinking fountain, just a drinking fountain. And I turn around and there's David Hasselhoff standing there. Yeah, there is. You his da- his daughter's in the show. And I turned around and the first thing I said, I looked at him and I was like, whoa, Night Rocker. Night and that's proper. exactly what I said to him because he made an album that my friends and I, when we were in a band, used to die laughing over the cover because you were talking about Kit. And he's standing on the top of Kit with a leather jacket and a guitar and the, the hair, the whole bit, just and it's called Night Rocker in bad font and the whole bit. And I was like, he, I turned around, and it's the first thing out of my mouth, and he went, yeah, and just got a drink of water at the fountain. I thought you were going to say he got really excited about it because I've always understood that he cared more about his the fame of his musical career than he did about being an actor. So I would have thought he'd have been stoked that you recognized well, him. Well, it wasn't like I ran up with a uh, pad of paper and a pen like, could you sign my Night Rocker memorabilia yeah. stuff? I, just, I was wiping my mouth from a drinking fountain. and I went, whoa, Night Rocker. And he was like, yeah, I get that a lot, you know, whatever. Yeah, he was probably like, stop mocking. And I walked away going... I have officially crossed into a weird thing. Yeah, you have. And by this the way, awesome. if I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but he's also not a small dude. He's a big no, dude. No, no, he was giant. And he was very, he wasn't giant in stature only. He was also at the bar talking about the four seasons in Milan, like with a big, loud voice and waving his hand. And I was like, yeah, that's I'm here, I'm here to do live camera switching, guy. I'm not going to listen to anything. David Hasselhoff is what I believe that Shooter McGavin from uh, – <laughs> I believe Shooter McGavin is based on. I believe that. I totally yeah. believe that because uh, just short of uh, – I did this. He didn't do this. But, but he's a fan. It was guy. like that. It was like that. It was great because, I mean – and I literally was like – I'm so glad I said that to him because now I, had, I had that story, but it wasn't like I had it loaded. I didn't see him over there and say, I'm going to sting him with Night Rocker. I just turned around. and was like, whoa, Night Rockers at the drinking. Fu- what the fuck? He knew he, right there. He was like, you like music, man. Cool. He's like, yeah, no good music when you hear. Uh, no, I don't. No, I don't. 
<laughs> so um, it was funny. Uh, you know, that was that. That was that. That's the end of that story. That's was that, and that was was that one of your first out. That was one of your first gigs you ever had. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, the second gig I had was uh, a horrific mistake because, like you guys have talked about, I've heard you guys talk about it. The um, is it? I'm already forgetting the the four. Is it the four one one? The book. The oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, book? you find out about work and what you oh, can do. Yeah, four one one. Four one one, right? Yeah. The book of maps. Okay, that I, I bought that thing because I'm like I, Thomas I'm Guide. The Thomas Guide. That's it. Yeah. The Thomas Guide. You got it. Yeah, okay. flip the pages. It's been so long. Keep your head in your lap while you're driving around trying to find your way around the city. Yes. So again, when four camera switching wasn't going on, I looked back in the paper. What else can I do? Here comes uh uh, script delivery for some company called like Eagle or something. I don't remember what it was. Uh, must know your way around LA, uh, must have own car, must have whatever. So I went in there and I'm like, I got my own car. I got my own truck. I can drive all around. I can fit bigger things in the back of my truck. I'm your guy, whatever. They're like, you know your way around. I'm like, yes. <laughs> I have no idea. So uh, I get my first gig and I'm uh, driving out to, Wilshire. And what I didn't realize is, and I'm, it's been so long, I'm going to gap on the road, but I guess Wilshire Boulevard, it, it goes from high numbers down to nothing back up to high numbers. Is that correct? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, I went the wrong high number route to drop off a script and the guy calls the place and was like, an hour ago, it should have been here. I don't know where your guy is. I don't know what he's doing, but call him. And so they call me up. They're like, where are you? I'm like, because when I got the job, they're like, do you know the roads? I'm like, yes. And, you know, because I needed the job really bad. And I figured, how hard can it be? And it was pretty hard for someone straight from Michigan going, uh, Los Angeles no. roads. I have, I have fucking hey, no I, idea. I, I, let's get out of here. You have no idea. Yeah, so I, here, here's the reason why it's hard. Just so you know, we are all, except for Jen, and Jen already knows this, but she even grew up in the Valley. So it was even it's kind of similar there. On in the valley and in the Midwest, everything is built on a grid, so it's kind of like a tic tac toe board, everything is straight lined. Yeah. When you get on the north side of I'm sorry, not the north side, the south side of the, of the south side. Hollywood yeah. Hills, the, the roads actually start crossing each other. That oh, yeah. where we're basically going like this are now this, and you're going mm -hmm. it. Well, well, I'm like crossing a street that I was driving parallel with, and you yeah. literally, if you haven't been here that long. It mm -hmm. starts messing with your mind and you. Yeah, it was horrible. Even it though was horrible. 101 is like, this is the 101 South. Now you're going 101 West without changing. What? Wait, what am I doing? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I remember getting lost on plenty of weird like deliveries, but that first one on, on Wilshire was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, yeah. They're like, uh, you know, you're supposed to be there an hour ago, whatever, like I said, but. Um, I had, I had a truck with a stick shift, so it wasn't like I could just at, at, you know, at a slow pace, read a map. I was doing all this shit. I'm like, oh fuck, God. am I, yeah. what is going on? You know, well, it's just like, bad it. you made, the first bad decision you made, Alec was getting a stick shift. <laughs> oh, I brought, I brought it with me. Yeah. yeah it was a horrible yeah, idea. Oh, and the funny thing is too, John will appreciate this. I think, do you guys salt your roads and, uh, yeah. where you grew up? Yeah. Like some like Colorado sands the roads, so I wasn't sure. But oh, no. here, here it's salt. In Wisconsin, they salt. 
Yeah, and I had my I had my truck for a while, and I brought it in to have the oil changed, and the fella underneath goes, "Holmes, where the fuck are you from?" I go, "Why?" He goes, "Your whole undercarriage." He's standing under it, and he's talking to me under it. He goes, "It's all rust. The whole thing is rust." I said, oh, "I can't get past it." I tried to do the undercoat thing. He goes, "I don't even know what you're talking about." I said, well, okay, it's rust. So, and then literally the next day, driving to Oscar shop. The muffler falls off. Not just the muffler, but the whole undercarriage of exhaust fell off on the ramp to uh, the whatever that road was to Silver Lake. Whatever. So my whole rusty truck just took a dump, and I was like, oh, ah. Yeah, that's when you started Flintstone in it, right? You got, you I totally. I totally could because I was driving along, and it was fine, and all of a sudden it was just this big, loud roar coming out of my truck. I'm like – and I look in the rearview mirror, and here comes my – it's doing that. I was like, shit. I'm such a heck. What am I doing? How did you get hired out there at, at Oscar's shop to get on Punked? Oh, that's actually one of my favorite stories because that was Mike Carney. Mike Carney. Mike Carney, his father and my father worked together in Detroit for years as uh, um, electrician business agents, Local nope. 58. Uh, they were fast pals. They were great pals. Um and my dad said, I know a guy out there. I'll call him and see his kids out there. And, you know, I'll, I'll line you up the, you know, I know a guy whose kid is out there. You'll be fine. Yeah. I was like, all right, whatever. And I'd never met Mike in Detroit ever because he'd been in L.A. for a while already. Yeah. Um, so I called Mike. I'm like, hey, how you doing? He goes, yeah, my dad told me you were going to call. Let's meet up at the uh, observatory and we'll talk some stuff. It's OK. So we go up to the Griffith Observatory. And for me, that was like holy shit, there's all of LA. You know, that yeah. first time you go up there, you're like, what have I done? Look at all that. How am I supposed to do this? You know, like, for, that's, that's what I thought. It can be overwhelming, but it's also kind of like, wow. It was beautiful, but it was also like, that's a lot of fucking people. What am I going to do? Um, but Mike said, yeah, you know, it's it's cool because I'm about to start this new show uh, and I need some guy in the arts department to help me out and it's called scare tactics. It's a, it's hidden camera. It's a new thing. Right. So okay. it started with, um, candid camera in the sixties, brand new. Right. Yeah. New thing, new thing to, to mainstream, I guess. Like it was modern, yeah. modern. Yeah. Um, and I said, yeah, whatever you have is what I'm doing. Absolutely. Yeah. You got it. He said, okay, cool. I'll introduce you to Oscar and we'll do some stuff. And I said, all right. So, uh, fast forward to we go to the first uh, meet and greet for Scare Tactics with Halakili and the whole group. Uh-huh. And uh, they said, all right, everyone just uh, we're happy to see everybody. Let's all get to know each other. Let's we'll go around the table. Everybody tell us what you do and your name. And I was sitting there. I'm like and I leaned over to Mike. I said, what, what exactly is my title? Yeah. What am I doing? He said, uh, your lead man on this and I was like are you making that up you know I've never heard that term in my life I'd never heard and I, I never felt more like a fucking hayseed in my life I was like I don't know what that is and he goes, I thought maybe what? you were comparing it to the music business and you were like well I can play drums and sing too just like Peter Gabriel yeah right but also, no, it wasn't like that because he said it and I thought he was setting me up for a big you know like being break yeah. the ice laugh whatever and I said are you making that up he goes no <laughs> uh, okay so it came around mike said oh you know i'm production designer and 
came to me. I said, my name's Alex Chambers. I'm lead man. And nobody laughed. And I went, oh, that's a real thing. Okay. <laughs> Unless so I was you, learning, like learning as I went. Unless you were, you were a freak who stayed in every movie theater since you were a kid and studied every title that came across the screen at the end in the credits, you would have no idea. Lead man, best boy, grip, gaffer. Well, like, no, best boy was always a joke for me. Like, who's the best boy? I never knew what that was either. You know, He's the best. He's got to be the greatest dude I've ever met. <laughs> the best young person on set. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, yeah. So um, that was a huge turning point in my whole life was that show. Yeah. Because sure. I suddenly had a job that wasn't working at the production group, cleaning up after shows. It wasn't live camera switching with Larry, whoever he was. It wasn't you know, uh, delivering scripts to you have no idea where it was a show. It was a real show. I'm in Los Angeles. I'm fucking working on a show. It changed my whole and then once, scenario. Once the show started, it was immediately popular. Yeah. Like, and it was a big show all of a sudden. I'm like, show that I'm like, it only took me three months and I own this town. Yeah. But, but, <laughs> but there were so many people back then when you would be like, Oh, so what show are you working on? They would say the show and people would go, Oh, okay. And then you would say, Oh, I'm working on punk. Thing. Oh my God. What's that like? And they would be like, really want to talk about it. Like people. Yeah. Yeah. Just like when we did dumbbells. That's exactly right. We did dumbbells. Everyone's like, yes. Have you heard of the Godfather? And someone's like dumbbells. Have you heard of dumbbells? (laughs) So I heard about this Star Wars trilogy, dumbbells. And people are like, whoa, yeah, you're right. Yeah. It was, uh, for me, it was a lot because it was uh, before that a lot of, holy shit, do I need to go back to Michigan and pour fucking walls and. You're like, no, I can And say, hey, dad, you were right. This world fucking sucks. We'll we'll get to that in a little bit, Alec. But anyway. um, (laughs) So you, I mean, it sounds, you know, again, going back to what I had said earlier about the connecting of the dots. It's funny to me that I don't, I think a lot of people romanticize a lot of Hollywood and don't realize that a lot of behind the scenes is blue collar work. It's there's a lot of similarities to laying laying foundations and laying walls. The, the stuff that you were doing, like all those things, there's a lot of similarities on on all sure. the work and the grunt work and all the stuff that goes into capturing that one minute and thirty seconds on camera is yeah. is a lot of hard work. It was it was, and I literally have. Uh, it, it's hard to believe how lucky I got having Mike in my corner and introducing me to a fellow like Oscar, because Oscar is an animal. That guy can make anything. Uh, Again, I I work from home now. I don't talk to a lot of people. So a lot of F bombs fly out. I don't normally talk that way. I apologize. You're fine. Okay, good. Oscar Oscar is an animal. He's, he he can make anything and he's, he's a steely eyed art guy. He can, He's not afraid. He'll do it. Metal work was his specialty. He would make things out of metal that you'd be like, what in the fuck did you do that? He told me he worked on, uh, uh, what's the abyss? Dude, really? With the art department. Yeah, he was a big part of that. Holy And I was like, he was was lead man when I, maybe he was uh, art director. When I was on Jamie Kennedy, Oscar was working for Henry Coda in the art department. So Oscar... When we got to punked, Oscar was then like, it was his shop, his crew. Mm-hmm. I was like, okay, great. Like, yeah, the great thing about Oscar is you go into an art department, but you don't just leave knowing art department. You leave knowing electric. You leave knowing transportation. You leave knowing carpentry. You leave knowing everything. 
And hopefully you don't leave. If you're living in LA, you stay with Oscar and you work because that dude taught me more uh, than I ever learned doing basement walls and stuff from guys who were very good, but they weren't real keen on teaching. They were like, do this, hurry up, F you. Oscar was like, let me show you how to do this. You're kind of doing it, but let me show you how to do it. Yeah. So you can do it right so that I don't have to show you how to do it again. And then you and it was awesome. But the fact is, uh, the first show I did with Oscar was indeed Scare Tactics. And I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. I didn't. A lead man means you you handle, you know, not the whole art department, but you handle all the, the swing guys and the set dressing and all that stuff. You handle it. I didn't know how to do that. I was like, I was trying to do it, but I was yeah. bad at it. I was really bad. So I, I became quasi good at the end, but it was it was too late at that point. He said, look. I appreciate you trying, but we're going to get somebody who does this already. I said, good, because I was, about to, I was about to throw up on set every day. I was freaking out. I didn't know what to do. I mean, I'll help you. I'll do the work. I'm, I'm cool me, working, but I don't know what I'm doing. I mean, I'm learning. You should also change your diet if you're throwing up that much. I'm just throwing that out. <laughs> yeah. As a dad. As a dad. Uh, that's that's my thing. If I get nervous on set, I was always like, I need some water. I'm going to make a scene. I need some water. I need oh, some wow. Water. Yeah, it's really, I take it very seriously. You know, I, I don't want to upset people that gave me a break. There? So, yeah. So Oscar was always super cool about it, though. He's like, just relax. Relax. It's TV. Relax. I was like, yeah, yeah it's kind of true. When you're- there's money involved here, too. There's, there's you know, uh, reputations involved here, too. I can't mess all that up. Well, and you guys are also doing something, uh, and, and I don't think this gets discussed enough, with respects to the shows that you're talking about. It's a little bit outside of the traditional uh, shows that were on television. You guys are actually making stuff in in, in th- that have to work, that have to work in sync and, and all this kind of stuff that's not being dealt with in post. I mean, you know, the difference between you being a lead man on and and working on a punk show or a scare taxis is not the same in many respects that somebody be working on a traditional hour-long drama where they're just dressing a set and the actors come in and act in front of it. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing either. It's just, they're two totally different types of work. Oh yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's very different. And it was uh, a lot of, you can't tell uh, anyone what's going on about what you're doing. This is a big surprise sort of thing, which was weird. Like, all right. Like production is we're shooting a movie. Everybody knows what the fuck's going on. Yeah. But not this, you know, this is like very, if you were in a restaurant, it was like, Hey, tell everyone you're here with the catering company that it's uh, setting up in the other room. You're like, yeah. what? I'm supposed to drill all these holes. I don't want to talk to anybody. Yeah. yeah. Everyone from me and be like, yeah, hey, you know, you have to wear these kind of clothes. Don't forget gloves. We had all these fucking rules for everybody and nobody paid yeah. attention. Was, yeah, you're right. And it was a lot of, uh, for me, it was a big, just trial by fire, like learning, like he and Mike would stay up all hours building some psychotic design yeah. for the show. And I was just like, I don't know what the fuck you guys are doing. This is crazy. I would, go, I would stop by when it when they, when it was something that was like my bit or I was producing or whatever. I would go to the shop at like four o'clock or whatever on, a, on the, the night before something. And me, Oscar, Carney, anyone, whoever was around, we would hang out and just hang out a little bit sure. and chat yeah. a bit. And then Oscar would get all fucking worked up and start reimagining everything. Yeah. You know, you know what we could do? You know what we could do, bro? And everyone is like, dude, yeah. shut up, shut up. <laughs> work. Like they yeah, would just, yeah. He would just make it crazy. Yeah, before Punk, Scare Tactics was six weeks in L.A. and seven weeks in Las Vegas. 
Uh, for a flat rate of whatever, a hundred bucks a day. Right? Well, but so, did you also get the buffet? <laughs> probably that's all we got. Uh, if, yeah. Like John said, that's about it. But and and I, I wasn't complaining because I'm like, well, I could do this or I could deliver scripts too. Yeah. Like, who you, fuck you, be getting, you could be getting I was glad to be day. there. But everyone I know who or I had started to meet in that time that worked on features and stuff, they're like, you're getting worked. I'm like, no, I'm just working. I'm yeah. good. So this let me ask fun. you this. Let's 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 um uh let's talk about the creative side of it. So when you were on scare tactics, I'd be curious for you, um, what was a great thing that you got to help create on scare tactics, and what was also a great thing that you got to help create for punked? Things that when you when obviously you don't live here anymore and you're not working on those shows anymore, when you look back on it, what are some of the things you look back and you're like, that was pretty sweet, that was pretty cool? Well, the the Vegas part of Scare Tactics was pretty great. I mean, I, I barely really remember much of the LA stuff because it was a lot of whatever and uh pretty tame stuff. But in Las Vegas, the reason I think they went there, That's I don't exactly know that for a fact is pyrotechnics are legal. And there is no, there's no, everybody's being videotaped. You don't have to, no one has to sign a release. You're always on camera in Vegas. That's got to be 50% of it too. Yeah. And it was a lot of, uh, cause there was a guy and I'm going to gap on who he was, but there's some dude out there that owns crazy amounts of military gear. He's like the guy he's like in, in Vegas, he, he owns fucking tanks and crazy shit. Like, and yeah. that work and blow shit up and crazy. He owns whatever it's, it's psychotic. And Oscar got a hold of this guy. He goes, we're, we're good. We got everything we need. This guy's got everything. We're going to blow up everything. Alec, can I ask you a question? Yes. Did you meet that guy? One. I did. I went okay. to his shop. Yeah. Okay. I have a follow-up question. Did he have both arms, both yeah. legs, all of his, and all he had, his- he had everything plus oh, okay. a pair of, Steely eyeballs that you couldn't talk to this guy if you didn't mean it. He was one of the most interesting guys I ever met. He was like an old cowboy. Wow. Uh, like this steely eyed, I blow shit up for a living. And what do you got to say about it? You want to rent a tank? You want a tank? Yeah. So it was, uh, we got tanks. There was a bit where we had fucking crazy tanks rolling down the desert to a kid that was told, you're going to a, a rave, a private rave in the desert. So, so he's he, already on drugs. He's already on goofballs, right? So he goes out in a limo. The limo takes him out. The driver of the limo is a stunt guy. They drive out into the desert over this thing, and they're like, this is going to be kick-ass, all the hidden cameras. And I think Travis is in there. Travis Draft. With him. Yeah, I think Great so. He's in everything. You know? Yeah. Chameleon. So <laughs> they're hauling ass out there, and suddenly shit starts blowing up around him. I might be remembering the bit wrong, but all I remember is standing there after weeks of prepping this thing, seeing shit blowing up in the desert like fireballs, like 50 feet Dude. fireballs, just crazy shit. And the kid in the in the the kid in the limo going, this rave sucks. You know, just screaming <laughs> like shit's blowing up all around him. He's freaking out, just crying, like sh- shitting his pants, like flipping out. <laughs> and we can we can see it on monitors. And for art department guys, it's pretty rare that you get to hang out and see the actual bit. Because normally you're setting up for the next one. Progress, yeah. But we watched that and I was dying laughing. I'm like, I, I normally don't get to see the shit, so that was funny. Were you on the one for the scare tactics where the girl was in the back and the alien came out and ripped the car door off? No, that, I think that was the pilot. I think that uh, was the pilot that I wasn't on because 
I saw the motor that they used. They put a motor in the back of a uh, in a trunk of a car that was an offset motor. So it would work like this so that the whole car would end up doing this when they turned it on. So that when they turn lights on on the on the hills in the desert, all of a sudden shining on this car like it's an alien invasion. The whole car right. would go because somebody turned that offset motor on in the trunk. Yeah. The girl like, in the back, the yeah. alien rips the car out. The girl in the back is screaming, I hate and, you. I hate and he you. runs out of the dark, tears open the door, rips somebody out. Yeah, yelling, Her I boyfriend hate runs you. away, just runs away, leaves Yeah, him. giant That's guy. Cool. And the same guy, that great big fella, yeah. was Sasquatch in another bit. That wasn't Sven, was it? I don't know his name. Sven it's been Holmgren? too long. I don't remember his name, but uh, he was he was so tall that he put his uh, – his his Sasquatch or whatever outfit on, which is crazy big shoulders, and then he's already six eight or whatever he was, plus the tall Sasquatch head that's this tall. Yeah, you know, like whatever this he's tall. Like, tall. He he ran through the dark and was running through set, and I said that would scare the shit out of me. I don't care. It scares everybody. Laughed at the show how stupid yeah. people are. If that crazy fucker was running in the dark, I'd flip out. That was crazy. Yeah. That was that crazy. Girl ended up being an assistant to an executive producer on Punked, and when I saw that episode, I went into the work and I was like, "Hey, were you on Scare Tactics?" And she just looked down. And she goes, "Yeah." yeah. And I was like, "Oh, the one that screams in that bit, like one. screams forever." Well, he had these shoes because he had bare, like it was supposed to look like he had Sasquatch feet, like bare toes. Yeah. So he had him on and I said, so what's the story? Do you like put your foot inside a shoe that's inside a big prosthetic? He goes, no, I pretty much wiggle my big toe inside the big toe. I was like, holy shit, dude. You're like the most what? giant human I've ever seen. His feet were like this big. Yeah, it was, it was ridiculous. Ben's like a, he's tall and lanky, but he's not like, it was awesome. Gigantor or anything. Yeah. Well, that must not be the same guy. Cause this guy was like, holy shit. That's a big human. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, scare tactics was uh, there were some doozies. What so, about uh, what so about, as what far about, as punk to answer the yeah. second half of your question? Thank you. Thank you, I yeah. was I was never uh, really on set much when the bit went down unless I was trapped. Me, that meaning like we were working, working. Holy shit, the fucking marks early. Hide. And there were a few where I was hiding behind potted plants, just hoping don't look over the edge and see me sitting here, and I blow the whole bit because I'm fired and I'm fucked. And that never happened. But there were a few where I was hiding, like inside with camera guys, because I was hiding out their camera rigs. And I'd stand there next to them. And they're like, couldn't work any faster. I'm like, I did what I could, bro. (laughs) But we're both like this, like face to face, like watching the whole bit. Just ridiculous. But otherwise, it was we were on the next shoot um, getting ready. But so you were uh, not normally um, there for the live execution of it. I'm assuming there was always a leave behind guy there, but you were not the leave behind. Guy. I wasn't the onset for punk. Yeah. I was just a set dresser. Yeah. I remember like, there's something that you got to create punk. though, that you tested that you thought was pretty amazing. Cause I mean, there's everything. Has to well, be what well, I do remember to answer your questions, I'm sorry. Uh, to answer your question was actually concerning Joe Dello uh, for the Beyonce bit. He was dressed like an elf. Right. Oh yeah. And they went up in the Christmas tree and the crane and the whole bit. <laughs> but, before that, and I'm sorry, this is what happened. He, like, you mentioned it before that fucking giant cock that used to float around yeah. on set. Yeah. Well, he put that in his tights, like he was wearing elf tights, and he had it like going down to his knee. And he said, "Well, I'm going to hang out with Beyonce with this thing." 
And I said, oh, you're going to get fucking fired, bro. I don't care if you're leaving or not. You're going to get fired. If you go up in that thing with that thing in your pants with that, you know. There's a bunch of kids there, too. Like yeah, he, was, he was joking. I thought he was serious. I was like, dude, you're going to get killed. He's not going to do it. But anyway, that's what I remember is him being up there and uh, the whole bit falling, crashing, and uh, ruining all the presents. And somebody screamed at Beyonce, you ruined Christmas. It was awesome. <laughs> Beyonce ruined Christmas. But actually, what I remember even more than that was Huck at a meeting at Oscar's shop, you know, talking about there's a bit we want to do. We don't know if we can do it with Elijah Wood. Um, we want him to push uh, this elderly person and they suddenly hit a bunch of stairs and the person falls, down, stunt person falls down the stairs, wipes out at the bottom. And it's like, uh, and when the police show up, he goes, Harry Potter pushed me down the stairs and that shit made me cry laughing. I thought that was the funniest thing ever that you'd call Elijah Wood, Harry Potter. And for whatever reason, I was, I laughed for about an hour at that. I that's a, that is a great one. But you know, every great. once in a while you get those great ones. What, um, how, so you are back in Michigan. I don't want to yeah. be jumping all over. Obviously, you know, time constraints because of that. So we're going to jump around a lot, but how did you end up back in Michigan after doing that? Just, you just get to a point where like LA just was not your thing or what? After punked, where did you go and how did you end up back in Michigan? Like what? No, it was more of a, um, that's more of a relationship story. Oh. Like, yeah, the the girl I was seeing, she and I weren't working out without getting into too many particulars, but I had to leave. She was seeing someone else. I had to leave, which is not. Thanks for coming on the show. Um, again, if everybody could just go. To, no, just kidding. Go ahead. No, no. It's literally like it, it's it's totally fine because we weren't working well as a team anyway. So she might as well have, I think. I mean, it wasn't this the her same fault. girl you were seeing that you moved out here with. Yes. Same girl. So you moved out here with for her and then left. Not for her, with her. We both did. I wanted to too. And was part of the decision was for you to go back home? I mean, I saw it. Well, no, it was a lot of, uh, a lot of circumstances. She was only part of it because a lot of, I was working after punk. I worked on a bunch of films with a production company that does a lot of Hallmark films. Oh, you worked with Randy and Lincoln. I know Lincoln. Yeah. Yes. And Randy, who's Randy. Randy, Randy was Lincoln's boss. So you probably worked at, at the Lincoln. Oh, yes. Yes. I did. Yes. Know Randy, LLP. Yes. Did you work over at LLP? I did. Uh, over uh, at the studio yeah, you and I probably cross paths. Yeah. yeah. Do you still, yeah, do you still work the with those guys? Uh, no, I keep in contact with there's some, they've become some of my dearest friends. Uh, 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 Lance Lanfear uh, is somebody, did you ever work with him? Lance? I remember the name. Yeah. I mean, yeah, so those the, it was they, a lot of. Uh, I wasn't really talking with the people who the names you're giving. They weren't on my level. I was slower. You know what I mean, like work wise. Yeah. When you were, yeah, yeah. So I, they worked. They used to film at the Herald Examiner building all the time. So that's okay. how I got to know those guys. Well, we used to work, pretty much work like out in uh, the what is it the, um, the studio. When the, they got well, the, well, the studio in Simi Valley, but also the the ranch. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. The out there with the, the the house on the hill and the little house on the prey set and all that Stevenson stuff. Ranch. What is it? Stevenson's Ranch. Stevenson's Ranch. Thank you. Yeah, you were probably came after they probably I probably shut down and they probably and they had already made the they they built the stages and they were starting mm-hmm. to do other stuff. But yeah, I, again, it, it's that's it was a different time. Those are great guys. Yeah, I still keep in contact with those guys. Every once in a while, Lincoln sneaks in on this thing and doesn't like me acknowledging his presence. But anyway, right so you're doing some LLP yeah. work. It was a it was a lot of great stuff in the way of uh, meeting amazing amazing people like 
Punk was amazing, but I never met them. I was always off on the next set. The people that you had on were, you know, in the day, the name, the pop culture, they were it, right? Yeah. So I never saw them. I was always on the next set. But on this one, I was working as an on-set dresser. Oh, yeah. So I, I would be on set with everybody. Yeah. And they and got I, a lot of talent on those shows. That oh, tons of it. I met yeah, all kinds of people. I'm not going to name drop, but uh, all kinds of great people. It was fun. No, go ahead. Uh, uh, sadly, the fella just died from 90210, Luke Perry. Oh, yeah. uh, he was great, nicest, not one of the nicest people I ever met. Lou Diamond Phillips, one of the nicest people I ever awesome. met. I, I, I don't know anybody that I met on those shows that weren't the nicest people I ever met. <laughs> That's did great you, to hear. Did you, by chance, and this is a little bit too inside baseball, and this is the last one I'm gonna bring up, did you ever get to work with the director Dave Cass? Yes, the Dave very Cass. first show I did out there. Dave Cass was about the baddest, baddest dude I've ever met. He oh was a steely-eyed cowboy, that guy. He, he was amazing. Dave, the only reason why I bring it up, and of course you responded the same way I did, I love Dave Cass. Dave Cass was an old stuntman actor from back in the day. And I'm going to interrupt you. He, yeah. was, he was Robert Mitchum's stand-in. He told yeah. me that. On the man from Uncle? Face to face, he goes, I used yeah. to work with Robert Mitchum, and I'm like, what? <laughs> That's oh. about the coolest fucking shit I've ever heard in my life. Dave said he 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 had an amazing career. He was also Bigfoot in the in the Six Million Dollar Man. Like he was like you know he oh did like really? crazy stuff too. Yeah, yeah. I love that. Yeah, no, Dave, I met him. I met him and he he oh, called man. me. He called me that that guy that's always over my shoulder staring at the monitor because I was the onset <laughs> guy. I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I got to watch that. I got to watch that. And he goes, You're like my shadow. What are you doing here? I said, I'm the onset. He goes, Well, you're doing a fucking good job, and I don't even know what you do. <laughs> and I said, That's great. And yeah. uh, he would tell stories about, you know, Robert Mitchum and standing in for him and doing stuff. And on those same shoots, like they did a lot of westerns. Yes. And I will never, ever forget meeting a guy named Jack Lilly. This dude, we were working on a Western and they had a horse wranglers coming in to handle all the horses, whatever. And here comes this dude. There's all these guys on horses looking legit cowboy standing there with their fucking, you know, like looking like, oh, my God, that guy was made a horse. Yeah. So and here comes this old timer on a, on a Cushman golf cart riding up. And he's like, you get over there, you do this. And he started pointing fingers and people started jumping like frogs. I was like, who's this guy? That guy's important. I'm like, he's awesome. And I, I got a little closer to him and I look and he's holding on to that steering wheel like this with his mitts. And on his fingers, he's got a diamond horseshoe, like blinging in the sunlight, <laughs> sitting there like a boss. I was like, this guy's either full of shit or he is the doctor. He is awesome. And he started talking. He's got his big mustache and he's, you know, not making a show, but he's making sure shit's getting done. He's not putting on a show because that's not his style. Yeah. But I got to talking with him and <laughs> he is uh, a legend. That's the best way I can put it. He's, he's a fucking legend because he, he was working like the first story he told me was, yeah, I worked on uh, Blazing Saddles. And uh, I was I was the guy. Do you guys know Blazing Saddles fairly well? heard of it yeah <laughs> oh i mean like know the scenes well enough yeah. to if i describe yeah, yeah, yeah. the scene yeah. okay well he's the guy that rides up on a horse on the on the uh boardwalk 
And then the horse slips off and falls. And he looks around, he grabs a bag of money and clunks a guy over the head with it and runs off. I don't know if you remember that. That's him? That's fucking him. And I was like, what? You know, because I grew up in Michigan loving Westerns. Like, that's my thing. I love Westerns. I always loved it. I love the dialogue when no one's talking. Everything about a Western to me is like the shit. Yeah. So I was like, oh, really? He goes, well, yeah, I did all kinds of stuff. And he told me all this stuff. I was like, holy shit. And he said, after I did that, I clunked the guy over the head. And Mel Brooks came running out going, whoa, whoa, whoa. What the fuck was all that? You were just supposed to ride through. What'd you, what is that? And he said, well, Mr. Brooks, my horse fell off the edge of the boardwalk there. And so he wouldn't break his leg. I checked him and pulled him so he'd fall on his side. It's something I know how to do. And I just didn't want my horse to get hurt. And I apologize if I ruined your scene. And Mel Brooks said, holy shit, that was way better than anything I wrote. That was the greatest thing I've ever seen. What is your name? And he told him, and he said, you're in the rest of the movie. And he wrote all these parts for him. Like he's in the whole, the Camptown ladies bit where they're all like singing and dancing and jumping yeah. around. He's one of those guys. And if you look at it and if you know who he is, you die laughing. Cause I'm like, holy well, shit, that's Jack Lilly. Also to know that that wasn't a written stunt no no he just knew what the fuck he was doing this guy was born to do what he did he was a cowboy all day long he's he's the epitome of it he's a cowboy and to me i was like you're the coolest guy i've ever met in my life you're you're the best and he was super cool and he said so what's your story i said well i came from detroit and i used to watch westerns i said detroit because you know where i'm from i'm from 40 miles north of detroit he said well um who's your favorite uh, Western actor? I said, well, I'm a big fan of Ben Johnson. And I think he was probably one of the coolest people you ever met. He goes, what the hell did you just say? I go, I'm sorry, I offend you. You don't like him? He goes, no, he was my dear friend. And I love that man. And he was the finest man you'll ever meet. And you don't know how correct you are. Wow. He said, he said, we're having, we're playing cards tonight in our hotel room. We were up in uh, um, uh, uh, Tahoe on the California side, we're going to be playing cards. Me and all the other Wrangler guys, if you want to stop by and have a beer or two, I'm like, yes, thank you. Yes. Yes. Now please tell me you didn't walk in there all dressed up in some sort of doozy cowboy outfit. Like that would be a better story, <laughs> but they weren't like, Hey everybody. No, for me, it was just like a lot of, that's all you could find at the local store. For all I know, Lincoln was in there and a bunch of other people. Cause they were all close pals. They all knew him. <laughs> and I just, you know, I, I gave him my whole like, holy shit, this is as a, as a kid from Michigan. I'm like, and I said to him, you know, I've never actually ridden a horse. He goes, what? I said, I'm, you know, I love Westerns, but I don't know how to ride a horse. He goes, well, bullshit. We're going to fix all that. I'm like, you're going to show me to ride a horse. You. He Did goes, he put you on a pony? Well, we were going, <laughs> right. A uh, uh, coin operated uh, grocery <laughs> like, store horse. Pretty scary. <laughs> Yeah, you so, go, Spurs. So it was this whole thing like uh, telling the director, I'm going to get that kid out riding for an afternoon if you aren't too busy. He said, he works with us. He's the onset. He's got to be with us. So I never got to ride with him. But he, uh, you know, he always said at the end, he said, you ever come back out this way, come out to the ranch, you know, say hello. And you're, you're all right. I was like, that's all I can ask for. That's fucking beautiful. Thanks, man. That's, that's great. Awesome. It was amazing. And the thing that sticks on me is that, fucking ring I, it, it was the most cool like 
I am the man, but I'm not going to brag about it unless you look at my ring. <laughs> my ring it was super cool. He that earned that. It was legit. Yeah. So, so you, so not soon after that, like, so what, what years are we talking about? When did you actually leave Los Angeles? I left Los Angeles in 2009. Okay. Nine. And I want to get into what you're doing now, which is, you know, obviously, you know, you're doing a, a lot of artwork. Was that something that you had started working on or things that you were doing while you were here? Or did that not really develop until you went back home? No, it wasn't until I got home. I was working productions like I moved down to Florida because I was crushed about the relationship thing. And I called my brother, who I always call when I'm in a pickle because he's the kid. I said, hey, uh, shit just kind of went sour. I'm kind of fucked. I don't know what I'm going to do. Uh, I was on uh, LLP came up because I was on strike trying to unionize LLP, which was, you know, whatever that was. No ill will towards the Lincoln and all those guys. They were beautiful to me all the time. But no, but that was kind of the that it's it's interesting that you bring that up because I think that was the end of what you and I were talking about and the beginning of something new. Yeah, for that, for that company without getting I don't know the details anyway. Yeah, the details were pretty rough because there were beautiful people there who I liked a lot. Lincoln was one of them. A lot of other people I worked with, but I did decide to go on strike and try yeah. and unionize, and then I never saw any of them again. Yeah, but uh, I had so. To get to the point, I had no job. Um, I couldn't collect unemployment. I had nowhere to live because my girl was off. And I didn't know what to do. I was kind of like, fuck. And all my friends were kind of getting married and having kids. I'm like, God, what am I going to be? Some baggage? I can't do that. I got to get the fuck out of here. I can't I can't afford this. I don't know what I'm doing. I was a mess. And that time I was a real mess. So I left. And my brother said, well, come down to Florida. He was living in Florida at the time. And he said, just get your head right here. You don't have to stay. Just come down to Florida and hang out and see what happens and, you know, do whatever. So, all right. So I did. And it was great. It wasn't great, but it was great of him to offer. Right. Florida is still Florida. I don't like Florida. I don't like Florida. We, we covered that, right? Alec, I want to know what what memory clicked into your head when you went, it was great. It really wasn't great. Like, so, like Well, because I spent like, a year. Something must have popped up so into your head that was like, no, bro, you don't care. Yeah, funny you story. And it might be a funny story. I don't know. But it, to me, it's not funny at all. But to other people, it might be like, that's pretty hilarious. I, I just, you know, I went from, I work with celebrities. I fucking do all this crazy shit. And I went down to Florida and everybody's like, we paid this much an hour, but we're full. Fuck you. You know, this whole, like, this whole weird. And Florida, the 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 speed of Florida is totally not the speed of Los Angeles, right? I mean, it's fucking not. And the mindset is like another fucking world. And the speed of Florida isn't. <laughs> right. So, so for me, it was. How were you addicted to bath salts? <laughs> yeah, I forgot. This is supposed to be a fairly humorous show. And I'm like, oh, it's a Florida sec. But, <laughs> but I just. Yeah, so whatever. I spent a year down there doing not what I wanted. Okay. Yeah. Well, we'll shorten that. Uh, my brother was beautiful for having me come down to get my head right. And he did that. He was, I love him. He's the greatest. So anyway, Ben Lewis from punk, you know, Ben, Yeah, I know Ben. All right. So uh, he calls me out of the blue. He goes, what the fuck are you doing? Where are you? I said, I'm in Florida and I'm rotting. What are you doing? And he said, uh, I'm working in Detroit, bro. And there's more work than you can fucking believe. I'm like, there's people, they're calling in people from Los Angeles to work here because there's not enough people to fill the roster. I mean, 
what are you doing? I said, I'm leaving tomorrow is what I'm doing. Where are you? Yeah, I'm coming home. And I literally drove the next day. I packed up everything I had and I drove back up to Michigan, um, knocked on my folks door, you know, called them on the way, whatever. But I stayed with them for a month before I found a loft in Detroit because they're giving those away. Everything in Detroit in 2010 was like a dollar, whatever. If you want it, it's yours. Yeah. It was crazy. People were buying up property for a hundred bucks. That sounds like I made that up, but people were buying property like a, a giant house for a hundred bucks because they were worried about the crime on that side and that side that no, that kept getting pushed out because people kept buying nice houses and people made a fortune on that. Yeah. So I was like, whatever. I'm part of all that. And Ben Lewis uh, introduced me to a few people in Detroit while he was there. He wasn't even from there and he's introducing me to people. That's how badass that dude is. Uh, he's a prop master, by the way. John knows that, but you guys might not know Ben. I just and he, and he talked me up like he's the greatest on set I've ever worked with and he's awesome. You want to work with him? And he introduced me to these directors and I worked for a year and a half on a bunch of features that were awesome. Yeah. And I was jamming. I'm like, shit. That was a close one. I thought I was fucked. Yeah. So this is great now. I'm going to buy a loft in Detroit. This is awesome. And then, you know, the governor kind of decided when he got elected, after promising to protect the film incentive in Michigan, he capped it at a stupid number that nobody would come here for uh, and ruined it. Yeah. And this is, so, and that, how long has it been since that, uh, that kind of came into play? Like, how long is it, has the filming been down? Since, since 2010. Yeah. Everybody moved to Georgia or they moved to uh, uh, they went there, a lot of people New went Orleans. To, yeah, to New Orleans. Or they moved uh, to New Mexico. Or a, lot Canada, of, yeah. a lot of went to Vancouver or Toronto, but yeah. a lot went to New Orleans, uh, Atlanta, or New Mexico. I mean, yeah. we know, I don't know if you remember Tommy Talley. He worked on Punked with us. He was a camera guy, but he's in New Orleans with a production company. He, Phil Britton, the guy we worked Phil with. Phil Britton. I love Phil yeah, he's a great. Guy. He started a production company in Atlanta. Um, like there, I've worked with stunt guys on commercials who are like, dude, there's more work in Atlanta. This was a few years ago. It's changed since, but there was more work in Atlanta than there was in, anywhere else making movies. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. it, was, it was crazy for a while. Yeah, it. Um, and you know, obviously, I think Schwarzenegger kind of helped beef up this filming back here. It's obviously, you know, had a, had a complete turnaround here since then as well which made a huge difference. Obviously the bigger budget stuff. I think remember a, a previous uh, guest we were talking to uh, Doug Dresser, who does like a lot of really big locations on big films. Those are never going to come back here because they're filming all big locations, all over the place. And right. you can live anywhere when you're doing that kind of work. Right. But it does, it, it affects again, it, it affects a lot of the below the line, blue collar type of people that work in that part of the business. They just don't get the work that they had before. Um, before we wrap it up here with you, so I, I want to make sure we get to what you are doing now, which is, uh, you know, like your website, the Nomadic Pen and stuff like that. Why don't you kind of talk about what you are doing these days and, and what people can find on your website? Sure. Well, like I told you earlier, a lot of times when I was on hold looking for work, I was drawing on pads, paper while I was on hold, just waiting to find out whatever. And my girlfriend, Jen, was like watching what I was doing, drawing stuff. And she's like, I remember because she and I grew up together as little kids. We went to the same elementary school. We grew up together, you know, after high school, she went to her place. And then we met up in 2010 on Facebook to cap all that. So we're together now. But she remembers when we were kids that I used to draw a lot, like all the time. 
And she remembered that. So she said, we need to get you some like legit pens. Cause I was trying like big pens and stuff and like scribbling, whatever, whatever was around. She's, she came home one day with these great, like legit art pens and a pad of paper. And she said, you should just draw some stuff on that. And I, I almost, you know, lost my shit. I was like, I haven't even thought about it. It's like the nicest thing anyone's ever done. It was, it was so nice. So I did. And I started drawing stuff and I'd post it and people were like, oh, it's really good. And then I'd post some more. And then people were like, actually, that's really good. <laughs> and I, I didn't know how to take that. I was like, well, these are my friends. You know, they're, they're sweet to me. They're great. And my mom's like, you're so talented. You know, <laughs> you know I was like, thanks, mom. Oh, well, my mom says I'm talented, so I must be. <laughs> I love you too, mom. You're the greatest. But it was like, am I though? I mean, am I just drawing and people are nice, but then I started drawing other stuff and then people I didn't know were asking their friends like, well, who, where do you, whose is that? So I was like, well, that's interesting. So however it happened on mother's day, one year I drew, I found a piece of wood that they sell in any craft store. It's like a little flat. Well, it's like this. It looks like this. It's just like a piece of wood. They yeah. sell it wherever. And I thought, well, that'd be kind of fun to draw. And that'd be whatever. So I tried it. And I drew a picture for my mom for Mother's Day. It was an image of nature, whatever. And I posted it. And that's when, like, like five times as many people had said, that's awesome. That's super cool. What is the? Uh, can I get that? And I said, well, no, that's for, that's for her. But I can make more. And I did. I started making all these more. So it just kind of turned into this thing where it's like enough people said I would buy that if it was available. And I said, well, I'm going to make it available. And I started drawing on all these pieces of wood. Uh, and it kind of became the thing that I based my company off of, which is the nomadic pen. And, and it's just is it black Sharpie? It's, like a, it's not Sharpie. It's it's micron. Like it's called Sigma Micron. And they come in very I don't have one here. I should have. Uh, they come in various gauges width of uh, marker tip, like nib. So it can go from like hairline, super small to big, fat, like Sharpie size. And you use like an array of those types of pens then? Yeah. So, I, so that's what she brought me a bunch of those. And I was like, ah, oh, that changed the whole game. I was like, yeah. Oh, look, I could do little super Detail. tiny, like uh, put my specs on and be like, get right in there. I'm drawing this little tiny stuff. And it turned out like it was a lot of fun. It was super fun. Dude, I have you. Have you done a um, a Van Halen logo on a piece of wood yet? <laughs> Not yet, but I'm going to, and it's coming to your address. Uh, that nature, would be our like a nature Van Halen, maybe like like a, with an <laughs> a trailer in the background, maybe right with a little tiny kit behind it with <laughs> Night Rocker on the back. Night Rocker, yes, a Night Rocker one. There you go. Night Rocker. You Mr. Hasselhoff. I want to apologize. <laughs> No, I don't ever want to apologize because it was oh. one of my favorite moments. And I, I, don't, I, I don't think he was like crushed, like, ugh, I'm not legitimate. He was just like that. I think it'd be better if 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 you you actually did a version of what it looked like in the moment with you turning around from the water fountain and just a literally like, off there and this just a just just a word <laughs> bubble coming out of your mouth going, Oh, night rocker. Night rocker. Like, Whoa, night rocker. And he's like, Yeah. Yeah, that was fun. That was good. So but, people obviously can find this stuff on your website, yes? Yes. The website is the the Nomadic Pen. And um, everything I've done in the last three years is on there. Uh, a lot of uh, the Micron pen stuff, a little bit of watercolor, a little bit of other stuff. I mean, I'm trying to experiment with more stuff, but it's a, it's a weird thing 
when you're trying to sell stuff, you're trying to make quantity, like yeah. a lot of stuff. I haven't gotten into oil painting yet, which I'm dying to do, but I feel like I have to build all this stuff up because I do have an art show virus pending in August um, in up north, up here. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. Yeah, like, sorry. Up, up by um, like uh, Big Powderhorn? Uh, up by Leelanau Peninsula, by uh, Traverse City, by... Um, okay. Yeah, up there. It's it's the most beautiful part of the state there is. It's Can I ask the, you a quick question before we get you off, Alec? Yeah, oh, yeah. There's been a lot of talk because of this virus thing. <laughs> uh, that, did I, oh, before, did I say get you off? There you go. Yeah. yeah. And you, didn't, you didn't even mean it. I'm pissed. No, we're going to jerk you off after this. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> uh, thank God, finally. <laughs> um so anyway <laughs> yeah go ahead go ahead um there's been a, a lot of <laughs> artists and I, this is obviously not are you drinking wine by the way yes congratulations the um uh a lot of artists have been talking about and because of what's happened in our world there's been a lot there's been a lot of talk about shifting and doing and a friend of mine is doing this right now which are virtual galleries I'm just curious to see how you feel about that. I know there's it's it's not it's never going to be the same as being in the same room as a piece of art. But would you ever see yourself, you know, you said virus pending, which got me thinking about that. It's like, what if that never comes to fruition for a while for you? Is that it would that ever be an option to start doing virtual galleries instead? I, I keep everything as an option until it doesn't work. I mean, I don't see a difference. Well, I do see a difference because um, a lot of the pictures I've taken of my stuff to post, they look good, but it looks better up close. I, I have to say that. I mean, when you see it up close, that's when people say, I'll take it. Like, that's what I learned last year. I did my first art show. A lot of people saw stuff online and they got curious, but they came to my booth and they said, I, I do like that. I'll take I that. Think it's you, like know? A and, you can see it online, but if you're not up next, Next to it or trying it on. It's like anything. Yeah. I mean, it's a gorgeous technology and all of that stuff, but it doesn't, that's not the same as seeing it like anything. So for me, I think it's definitely a thing to do and it's definitely a good thing to do to have a virtual gallery. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you got to get your stuff out there. And if, if you can't do shows and you can't do, you can't get into a gallery somewhere, absolutely do it. Whatever it takes to get your stuff out and get people to see it, do it. Fair enough. Uh, John, I, 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 Alec, thank you so much uh, for uh, coming in and sharing your story. My pleasure. My pleasure. Um, Stay safe in Michigan. I yeah. will certainly try. Thank you, Jen. Um, I do have a request if I can. I need a yeah. little Scottish accent from Jen. I got to have it. A what? Jen. I don't think she heard you. Oh, I didn't. Oh, I, I need your Scottish accent because it's the greatest thing I've Jen. ever heard. He was yeah. earlier. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, I need that. Let me find it. Just okay. Just say, just, say, just you gotta Let tell me, him. Right, Jen's gotta, she's got to build up to it. Okay, hold on. Let me know when you're ready, Jen. Hold on. Ryan, she's an artist. Jen, you have to tell Alec uh, in Scottish that you like his artwork and you think people should buy it online. <laughs> oh, I really like your artwork, Alec. And everybody go out and find it. It's at the nomadicpin.com. <laughs> for everyone in Michigan to be safe. That was Scottish. Yeah. Okay. That was Scottish. That was the greatest ever. Thank you so much, Jen. That was awesome. Yeah, like groundskeeper Willie. 
<laughs> oh, hey, uh, real quick, if I can. Yeah. Um, there's there's actually two things. Um, the first thing the first thing is that Jaws story I wanted to tell you guys real quick. Oh. Uh, I worked with a prop guy, Scott Nifong is his name, and his father was the prop master on Jaws. Ah. And uh, he told me a story. He told me this just like out of the blue. I'd been working with him for months. I had no idea this was the case. And we were at lunch and he said, yeah, I was doing this. Um, I was working on a movie with my dad, Jaws. You saw it. I was like, what? <laughs> and he said, yeah. So I was doing this thing where uh, on the in between takes, I was on the back of the boat and I was throwing out little crackers, you know, in the water and the seagulls were coming down and eating it. And taken off and I was just doing that to pass the time and Spielberg was on the boat and he walked out he goes what are you doing he said I'm just feeding the seagulls a little bit he was like 10 Scott at that time uh and he said oh this is perfect he said we're gonna we're gonna change the schedule we're gonna shoot this and that's when they're they're on the raft and they're kicking their feet at the end and all the seagulls are like banging around Scotty's just off frame throwing crackers into the water right then when they're when they're coming in him and his, him and his dad both and they kept it in the movie i love wow. that yeah it's pretty good i love stories I love like that, that. I, I live for stories like that that's like with the whole uh frank lily thing uh yeah i wouldn't trade that for fucking anything i mean what happened at llp ended however it ended but lincoln was always beautiful to me everybody there was good but i i made a choice and i you know what are you gonna do well my favorite stories uh um is that in, in hollywood Obviously, you know, there's there's so many moving parts to making a movie or a television show. But I always love it when someone can share a story, whether it's 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 Mel Brooks or it's Steven Spielberg, who recognize in the moment that there's something that they can do that yeah. can add to what it is, their vision and being able to be that flexible because it doesn't happen all the time. Yeah, that, that's what gets that. That's when I get excited about stories like that, because I'm realizing then they're making that decision in real time. Yeah, and and it forever sticks with us. And now we all know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's yeah. that scene where they're kicking the, on the raft and the last thing in the movie, the very last, the very last thing. That's yeah. Scotty. Yeah. yeah, pretty great. But yeah, also the second thing was uh, thank you for doing this because uh, I am, you know, I, I sit at home and draw a lot, and uh, normally Jen's at work doing her thing, and she'll come home, and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still here, but. During this time, uh, it's nice to have this kind of connection because I don't don't normally get that. A lot of people don't normally get it. I think it's important to a lot of people. So you guys are kick-ass, and I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for taking the time to talk to us, man. Yeah, for sure. And it's good to hear your voice again, John. Yeah, you too, man. You too, for sure. Um, And it was a pleasure to meet both of you as well. I had a great time. Thank you guys for uh, tuning in. And this... Audio will be up on uh, iTunes later today. And check out Alex's work at thenomadicpen.com. And follow... John, I already told them. Oh, yeah. that's Oh, that's right. (laughs) In case case you don't speak Scottish... It was awesome. I'm telling them in English. That they hear it, you know. But thank you're right. Speaking of of them, if you want to watch a movie that's got some funny Scottish stuff in it, So I Married an Axe Murderer... Great movie. It's a funny movie. Watch it. Oh. So, so as as we leave, my last things I want to tell you, if you're looking for something to watch, that would be that would be my recommendation. Office Space, because Alec kind of reminds me of the guy that uh, uh, that um, 
uh, in the basement uh, that wants his red stapler. But oh, he, cool. he huh. no, no, no. But he, a much better looking version. But better Thank looking. You. When, when, he stopped, when he stopped years later, he grew the beard just like that. So when you first came on, it, it just registered with me that that look. Um, you know, I will, burn, I will burn it down. I will burn it all I'll down. Burn it down. I'll burn it all down. <laughs> Office space. So I married an axe murder and King of Kong. Fistful of murder. My recommendations that if you they're looking for something to do, uh, you should check them out. Um, thank you everybody for uh, tuning in. Thank you so much, guys. Till next time. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Hollywood Anonymous. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Hollywood Anani. That is short for Hollywood Anonymous. You can also follow John individually at John Huck and myself, Brian Irwin, at Brian Irwin on Twitter as well. Both of us can be found on Facebook. You can also Google us and contact us directly, HollywoodAnonymousGuys at gmail.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and please don't forget to subscribe. 